What's up, Shooters Pod Universe? This is Dick Bacone, co-host of the Straight Shooters Podcast. And this week marks 25 years since the infamous WCW Starcade 97 debacle between Hulk Hogan and Sting. You probably heard a lot of podcasts this week recollecting that. Two years ago, Vaughn and I did a deep dive when we started our deep dive format into Starcade 97. We talked all about it. We're going to upload that for you here. Classic episode number 263, Starcade 97 Deep Dive. We also did a deep dive on Starcade's 1995 and 1996 the last two weeks, so go check that out in our archives. But here's a classic episode number 263, Starcade 97 Deep Dive, the beginning of the end of WCW, thanks to Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. Acknowledge me. It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. Who? Oh. Smile at you and kick your face off. I'm done with that. You got me mad now. You know, you got a bad tickle. Feeling good. All the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. No, it's live, Hal. Sorry. I love Burger. I was like, yes, <laughs> like, this guy's awesome. We ride the bad tickle to the arena. With my man, man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCone. That's me. Are you humanoids? Get ready. I don't know where the kid is that was a ride but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Christian man! Oh! And I have passed the brain to But I don't like it when things aren't going my way. Don't you dare be sour! Ooh! Woo! I got no more wrestling. He don't know nothing else. <laughs> you know that wrestling. Well, he know that wrestling, boy. <laughs> and he was about to hop over the table. What? <laughs> You are empty, break your heart, what a beast, fuck, No sleep, no food, no nothing, just maniacism. You got the water, man! Give me the hell, yeah! I said give me the hell, yeah! Speaking of a big deal, Starcade 1997 was a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? It was the epitome of wrestling like in 1997 like big show there were big shows after big shows but like everything it it almost felt like even when i watched the wwf that i was thinking about sting and hogan you know from like wow like it's it was that big it was the epitome of what uh really the not only the end of the year but like the entire year of 1997 and, and wrestling you know, ECW did a similar thing, building up Taz and Sabu even the year prior into 1997. But, you know, that was on a, a lower scale, obviously. Sting and Hogan, WCW, the, the epitome of what pro wrestling is all about and what sh- should be all about. And I just loved it. Yeah, that you can't talk about this show and this proper contact without mentioning the angle going in, which... For those who may not remember, you may not be old enough to remember, or maybe you have, you're not old enough, but maybe you've gone back and watched, but some people, are, I'm sure they're out there that are still unfamiliar. So WCW had the NWO debut in mid-1996, J- June or July, something like that, right? Back to the beach, 1996, yeah. right? Yeah, technically, That was the yeah. first night of the New World Order. Hogan turned heel for the first time since the AWA or, or Rocky Three or whatever. <laughs> like, he hadn't been healed in over, well over a decade since he was Thunderlips, all right? 
And in that match was Sting. He was one of the people that was getting beat up and he was, you know, getting stomped on in the name yeah. of WCW. Well, he disappears after that. Mind you, before that, Sting was known as, even though Hogan was there, even though Savage was there, before they got there, Sting was the guy in WCW. He was the franchise. And they said it on this show, but that's that was true. From the early and from the early nineties on to like ninety five, ninety four, ninety five when when Hogan got there and Savage got there, Sting yeah. was the guy. Yeah, he was the ultimate babyface, the ultimate face of that promotion. He was Mister WCW, and he was pretty much for years until twenty fifteen Mister Not WWE. Like that's how much <laughs> you know. what I'm saying like, but he was Mister WCW, and then he disappears for and i think he has some personal issues i'm not sure if he had personal issues or whatnot i can't remember exactly why but wcw capitalized on this immensely by staying go away for months right and he was you know before he left he was this colorful vibrant exciting yell woo to the fans and you know the, the music this the man called sting at the music and the whole thing and he goes away for months, and you don't see him again. And the next time you see him, he's up in the rafters of an arena, <laughs> just hanging out, chilling, no color, black and white, long hair. I think he had long hair before when the NWO debuted, but not like yeah, down his back. Like, he was like growing it out already, and it was dark. There was like no hint of blonde in that. <laughs> Right, because that's that's nothing. You had the blonde, the blonde bus cut, you know. Yeah. And he's just hanging out up there, and it's like, what the was that Sting? What what's Sting doing up there? <laughs> and that happened for weeks and weeks and weeks, and eventually he starts coming down to the ring, beating up members of the NWO, and playing mind games with them. And he he makes it clear that he wants Hogan. This this is played out over the course of like a year and a half, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah. He did not have a single match. And I think he's probably said like two words, if that many, before Star Trek 1997. Yeah, he his, did the same thing. It was, it was like Hogan. <laughs> yeah, like, I want Hogan. The last uh, promo he ever gave was uh, that he was a free agent. And uh, it was the day after War Games. Because th- they set that up pretty perfectly to, to morph into that, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> that Sting Crow character where... You know, NWO came up with a, they created a fake Sting that, you know, in the dark <laughs> could fool people into thinking he was the real Sting. And he attacked Lex Luger in the rain outside or, in, you know, Nitro, and it was dark and couldn't really tell. And then War Games happened. Uh, Horseman and Luger don't believe Sting. They think he's like NWO. He winds up coming in, tearing up the NWO inside the War Games. And then he's like, how's that for you? And then he leaves. <laughs> so it's almost like, man, like you came and you, you basically said, hey, I'm WCW. But then you abandoned WCW because, you know, you thought they abandoned him. So it was so, so, uh, I don't, I'd say thoughtful for lack of a better term, but how they just morphed into this character to make him just sit in the rafters and like a loner. It, it didn't happen like, just a snap of the fingers it was like wow wcw 
doesn't believe in me, then I'm just going to go my own way. And then eventually, finally, he was like, yeah, Hogan's the guy. He he would point to the crowd, you know, and J.J. Dillon would be like, I don't know what you want, Sting. And it was clearly, <laughs> They're saying clearly it. obvious. And he would just point to the crowd, and the crowd was chanting Hogan. And it, it, lack of a, like, Tony Schiavone didn't want to just come out and say it. He'd be like, well, I think the fans know what Sting wants. <laughs> you know, like, and that's my Tony Schiavone impression. Yeah, no, uh, that wasn't a good one. No, not at all. I don't know what the hell that well, was. The rec- let the record reflect that was not a good I, impersonation. I'm sorry, Tony Schiavone. I am sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was just at, just the whole lead up. Everything about it created the at- buzz and atmosphere that I it brought it all back when I br- watched this. I watched this like at least once a year. You know, I don't. It just it brings me back to that moment, that time frame. And thank, thank goodness it was after Christmas because if it was the week before, I wouldn't have been able to order it because <laughs> I used my Christmas money to, to order it. So. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> now you're not using Christmas money on some clothes, yeah. on a cool toy. No, I need to see Starcade, baby. Hell yeah, because I, I wasn't given, you know, obviously my, my parents knew that they didn't watch wrestling. Like my dad watched it here and there. My mom watched it here and there, but... Uh, they knew like it was a big pay per view coming up, but they were just kind of like they they didn't give me any assurances that they were going to order it for me. So I had to make sure that you know, listen, I'll give you my Christmas money, please order it. <laughs> so it, it also taught me a lesson that uh, you know, give your money up. I guess <laughs> you're gonna be spending your money like this for the rest of your life. Damn, <laughs> you better get ready. Yeah, this is how it's gonna be when you get older. But <laughs> like you said, that whole story built up to this fever pitch and it culminated on this night, December 28th, 1997 Starcade. Okay. This was the biggest show of the year in wrestling. And I, I know Shivani kind of said this is the biggest show in the history of wrestling. That might've been a bit of an older overstatement, but <laughs> this was the biggest show of 1997 for either WWF, ECW, like all the promotions. This was it. This WWF didn't have a card or a main event with this, type of build at all i mean i know some people well, what about Shawn michaels and hp uh, and bret hart at survivor series not quite not that wasn't this you know at survivor series that wasn't this and even undertaker and Shawn michaels tremendous match the build was great not like this no okay. there was really nothing that touched if you want to talk about builds from week to week uh, the, the fact right. that it was like a year and a half wasn't so much as it was just the story. Like, it was perfect. And, yeah. you know, the fact that it took a year and a half is like you you wanted to see it with every fiber of your being. Like, you wanted to see it. I didn't really right. didn't get that with Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, or even Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. I was interested in it, but I wasn't, like, clawing, you know, like, throwing my right. money at my parents. Please order this. <laughs> And here's the funny part about this show, and we're going to dig into it, is that they had people like Nick and the whole wrestling world fixated. They had to watch this show. And we're going to talk about how WCW fumbled this bag (laughs) so relentlessly. It's like they sabotaged themselves. like they couldn't help themselves. Mm. But to throw monkey wrenches, multiple monkey wrenches in this at every turn. And I wouldn't say it was necessarily the beginning of the end of WCW per se. I think people after this show were kind of turned off maybe. And then WWF gets Mike Tyson. And that was kind of a maybe a muddled finish. But definitely cleaner than this mess we got on uh, Starcade. But the tide started turning once 1998 came. 
And go even though Goldberg was running you know, white hot in ninety eight, he he couldn't save WCW yeah. from being usurped by WWF. But I think the root of WCW's issues to, to come in the coming years kind of started on this night because they they had it they had it right there this golden opportunity and like i said they fumbled this bag in multiple ways and we're going to dig all into it but before that there's a whole show before that sting hulk hogan <laughs> match right there's a whole bunch of other yeah, matches that, that'll actually lend even more credence to to what you just said where the right hand was not understanding or even knowing what the left hand was doing it's crazy yeah, and we talked about a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month, a couple months ago, actually now, because it's December, we talked about Halloween Havoc 98 as compared to Halloween Havoc 97, and 97 was a damn good show. Man, that just feels like uh, weeks ago that we were talking yeah, about it's that. Only, it's a couple months ago now. Shit. But, you know, by 98, though, it was like, what the hell is WCW doing? <laughs> That's this is it. Pretty much be that statement. Pretty much began on this night. It's like, what in the hell are they doing? Actually, like, what is going on here? So, let's get into it. Uh, the show starts off with a fantastic video package about Sting and Hogan. It was super cinematic, super dramatic, and it was just like, wow, this is like the most like dramatic and cinematic thing I've ever seen in pro wrestling. Like, it was like. I don't think we seen saw too many things like this in pro wrestling before this before this angle. Like what it felt like a movie, and sure. This is Sting's character is based off of a movie, so like yeah. easy source material kinda. Um but you didn't see that in wrestling. Which I didn't even know, by the way. I didn't know it was based off a movie. I didn't even right. you're like, like yeah. eight, nine, ten. Yeah. You're not gonna see the crow. The crow's rated R, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I didn't see the crow until I was an adult, so or in college or something. So I still yeah. haven't seen it, by the way. But that doesn't surprise you, does it? I'm not. Look, no, I'm not surprised at all. That's um, what's Bruce Lee's son's name? I can't remember his name. Brandon Lee, his final mm. movie before he passed away. Mm. He was the crow. I think that's, it was his final movie. I don't even know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> He died on the set of The Crow. Oh, wow. How about that? Yeah. I think it was... Stuck on wrong? Be, he's, yeah, he's supposed to get shot with a blank. And oh, no. I think it was a real bullet. Oh, oh that's not I good. think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. He's supposed to get like hit with a blank. And, a, a, you know, and, and it was a real bullet. And he killed him on the set of the movie, which is wild. Um, But, yeah, like back to what I was saying, though. You know... It, this package is just dope. You just like, even though I knew what was going to happen because I've seen this show before, it's still you, get, you can't help but get caught up in this story and get captivated in this story. It's like the perfect good versus evil. It's like a movie. It felt like a movie. It literally mm-hmm. felt like a movie. Like the guy, the bad guy comes in and he takes over whatever the case may be, and he's running roughshod for. A long time, and the good guy goes away and finds himself somewhere, and he comes back a new man. You know, he went to it. He was in a dark place, and and he comes back all brand new, and, and it's just I I loved it. Like the the whole issue I, I had at first was I was angry because he was in black and white, and obviously the NWO colors are black and white. And I'm like, how can what even in wrestling sense why? Why wouldn't people just believe he's with 
not with the NWO. Like, it's ridiculous. And But they played it, you know, really well. Uh, they even kind of hinted towards him joining the NWO. Like, Hulk Hogan hugged him and whatnot and all this. And it just... You just kind of, like, were like, what the hell? And then Uncensored happened. It was in March. It was right after WrestleMania 13. And I remember this because I... This was one of the pay-per-views that I <clears throat> accidentally ordered. Uh, <laughs> you got your ass beat <laughs> you know? for ordering it? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I just turned on the pay-per-view channel, and it was on. So Okay, I, okay. I, I didn't touch anything. I didn't call anyone. So it was just on, and I don't know how that happened. Um, I don't even know if it was reflected in the cable bill. I, I can't even ask my dad. He won't remember that far back, but... Um, it, I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll watch this. And that was the night Sting made it clear his intentions. Uh, for people like me, who I still wasn't sure like what was going on. I was like, is he NWO? Is he WCW? And then that was the night. So uh, from March to December, you knew uh, Sting's intentions that whole time. So even if it wasn't... It, it, it was from March to December. Like, that is crazy. Imagine nowadays an angle that even started in March and then climaxed in December. Like, like that's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, it was, every week was appointment viewing. Like, Sting would appear on Nitro for maybe, like, a minute or two. And I'd say 80% of the weeks he would get the upper hand on the NWO. And it was just so awesome. Well, he and should have. No, That's how no, you got to build him up. And, and nobody hated it. You know, it might have been the same thing week after week and just a different type of format. But like him him coming down and saving DDP and bringing him to the rafters. That's probably my favorite ending of a Nitro in that era. <laughs> uh, it was just awesome. And it made me want to be like, yo, I can't wait for Sting to finally get Hogan. And that was for March, you know? So all throughout the spring, summer, and 1997, I've said it before, best year in wrestling, my favorite year in wrestling. And ECW was on fire. WWF was on fire. WCW on fire. And it just, it, every week, something great happened on, like, every show. And I was just so amped. And then as you got getting to the fall, you know, it's kind of like school starts and i'm just kind of like okay whatever like probably won't i'm gonna have to wait till december at least so uh yeah it was just like i'll, I'll never get that back like we're never gonna have that type of timeline again uh for for a wrestling show probably not probably not um yeah this was it was it was pretty dope uh we get to now and we're in the arena Shivani calls it the biggest night in the history of the sport because, uh, you know, that's what he did back in the day. Uh, he, I think he said the same thing about Starkid in 1996, uh, <laughs> just a year prior. He said the same thing about a, a Nitro in 1999 at some point. Probably, you know. He said it probably, he probably said it about Goldberg beating Hogan in 1998 <laughs> at, at the Georgia Dome on Nitro. Oh, he definitely said it about the finger poke of doom with Hogan and Nash. Oh, Jesus Christ. Definitely said that. Uh. He said at the top of the show that there were about 24,000 people in the building uh, in attendance for the show. You know, well over 24,000. I don't know if that was true because everything I've seen said that it was only 17,500. And this is still a basketball and hockey arena in D.C., then the MCI Center. Mm -hmm. Now it's Capital One Arena uh, where the the Wizards and the Capitals play uh, in D.C., 
Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know if 24,000 is necessarily true. They didn't have a massive, massive stage. It took up a bunch of seats, but I don't know. He said well, 24,000. They had a bunch of wrestlers taking up a bunch of seats, though. They did. I, oh, I was going to talk about that. Um, but this was the first ever event, wrestling event, in that building. So, historic. You know, MCI Center. Okay. Also hosted Backlash 2000, which was probably one of my favorite oh, wow. shows of all time. The uh, MCI Center or Verizon, it was Capital One Arena now, actually. Um, speaking of the stage, the Starcade stage, despite it being the biggest show of the year, it's supposed to be WCW's WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. The stage is pretty lame. I don't know. I, I like the it. stage is pretty lame. I liked it. I mean, it's, what was it? Literally, it was just an entrance and then the logo. And it's like you don't need anything else, baby. It's Starcade. What? No, no. It's the mm. the center of everything. Halloween Havoc, you have a theme. World War Three, you have a theme. Starcade, your theme is greatness. You don't need to go crazy. So greatness is a black curtain and an arch. Yes, yeah, that's all it is. It's great. No nah, man, that's you all need you need. Perfect. You need it was perfect. You need more than that. Night the Nitro set looked better than that. Come on now, well, dude. The Nitro. How does Nitro had, like, look a, more important than the, Starcade? It's Nitro, just a black curtain uh, with a card with listen, a board sign, like a what? Listen, the, Nit- done more. the Nitro set was ridiculous. That was way too much going on. Way too well, much. But that's my point. You got to up the ante on that. But then. that uh, uh, uh. for Starcade, eh. look at WrestleMania the, sets every year. Even like, eh. even the WrestleMania 14 set from in '98. And, you know, a couple it months was, later, it was a circle. Yeah, but it, it looked like it. Th- there's more to it. Like there's lights around it. it would, the lights would change colors, not just a board and an arch and a black curtain. But like the Star K, the Star K logo was like amazing. So it was fine. You didn't really need it. It was fine. And then was, you know, coming across and or uh, coming through the entrance and kind of right next to the logo, I thought that was great. It was fine. <laughs> like, I, was a, I was a big fan of it because, you know, WCW did all these theme shows with the, these theme sets, and like, what can you do with Starcade? Like, it's something. It's just, but what's something? <laughs> I'll I'll give you this much: wrestling at this point did not have extravagant sets and stages. No. Like that wouldn't come for the next year or two. WWF pretty much set the standard on that. Even though Halloween Havoc was the best set in WCW history in '98. Right. Um. But WWF by ninety nine, by ninety eight, even I think they had a unique set for every show, um, into, definitely into ninety nine, and they set the standard on that. So, and then they stopped doing it a couple years ago, and I'm still disappointed by that. But, um, yeah, this was just for a big show. Eh, I don't know. I I, I thought it was great, just based on. You know, all you need is the Starcade like, logo, man. It's the biggest w, show like, of the year. WWF, even though they hadn't really done anything for WrestleMania 12 or 13, but in the past, or WrestleMania 11 for that matter, <laughs> they just had like the little entrance way or whatever yeah, with the yeah. sign on it. But like WrestleMania 9 was like this whole theme. Like, and I understand it. You like I said, it's a theme show, so it's easier to do that. But like, they would debut a new type of set at WrestleMania some some years, like. WrestleMania 8, that the, the little the, the thing with the lights on it, like the light up. Yeah, the neon. Uh, right, the neon, neon thing, thing. But they didn't. They would use that on Raw and like or television yeah. shows after that. But that started at WrestleMania 8. It was pretty dope. It's like, oh, this is a new. This is a special yeah. thing because it's a special event. Like, right. maybe that's just me. 
No, I, I, I understand I, where you're you coming know. from because it for especially for WCW it looked kind of plain, but I just loved it. I guess because the whole it, it was more serious. I guess it wasn't like we're watching a circus or anything like that. Like it was like okay, this is the biggest event. We're just gonna have the entrance, Sting and Hogan. This is what it's about. I, I appreciate a strap, and I get to what you're saying too. But I appreciate just making your event feel massive, like making your event feel big. Yeah. Like you watch the Super Bowl, they got the, the end zones painted up. They could just leave the, the end zones normal, but they don't. <laughs> they paint them up different for each team to customize it for each team. Uh, you know, they have the, the team entrances, got the, all the flames. And I don't know if they have flames anymore. I think they actually took away <laughs> flames yeah, at football man. games. Field because uh, the mishap, I think, with the Titans game. Yeah. I think it's a Titans game where the thing, the thing fell yeah. over or something like that. <laughs> yeah. oh, that was nuts. But, but they have more lights in the stadium. There's, there's more. It just feels and looks more extravagant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. Um, it, we need that for w, WCW. Needed something extra. They needed some more oomph than <laughs> just, just that. So that's just me. That's my opinion. Um. All right, so here's the thing. You mentioned this earlier. The next thing we see are WCW's wrestlers in the crowd because this is a big night. This is the biggest night in the history of the sport. So everybody's in the building to watch. Now, how did you feel about this, Nick? I had some feelings. Mine probably, I mean, given the way your tone is right now, my feelings probably aren't as strong as yours, but... (laughs) Uh, I thought it was kind of weird, but I, I liked it because it's like, okay, these guys aren't on the card. Um, you know, it makes it seem like, okay, there's not enough room for them backstage because of how big the event is. So they're going to have to watch it from the arena. And as, you know, a 12-year-old kid at the time, I was like, wow, like this is important. This is awesome. you got Rey Mysterio watching the show from the – Entrance, you know, that's great. That's awesome. I, I kind of dug it. Uh, so here's the thing <laughs> to me, you make you sat them, yeah, they have floor seats, but they got like, like Hugh Morris is like in the stands, <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, it's a free amongst seat. The people, it's a free seat. They couldn't have got them their own section, they were sitting amongst fans. <laughs> that's true, they couldn't get them their own section. Or a luxury suite, maybe. <laughs> you know, because they're stars. Even though they're WCW, they're still stars, right? But, then I, but, but then I thought about it. I was like, man, you know, let me calm down. Because in boxing and UFC, if there's a big fight, there are other boxers and UFC fighters in the crowd. And they'll show them on camera. Hey, there's so-and-so. Here's so-and-so. And they'll show them sitting in the crowd amongst the people. Some might be in the front row. Some might be in the fourth row. Whatever. UFC does it pretty much every show when there's fans in the stands. Yeah. They don't do it now because there's no fans. <laughs> but when there's fans, they would do a, a maybe multiple times a, a little hit of like, oh, this celebrity's here. This celebrity's there. Look at this fighter's here. And the fighter will throw up his fist and whatnot. How you doing? Yeah, whatever. So I'm like, okay, maybe that was it. But that didn't happen for WCW. They, and the same thing for boxing, by the way. Boxing, they do it too. But they didn't do that for WCW. They didn't say, and here's Booker T, and here's Rey Mysterio. <laughs> There's like, There's the WCW guys. Uh, and true. Booker T is whipping out his brick cell phone for no reason. Like, 
<laughs> like, like I'm pretty sure he just bought that. And he wanted to show it up. Like, look what I got, baby. WWF's calling him. Can you do? <laughs> got an offer maybe, for you. <laughs> can you dig my cellular phone, baby? You know what I'm saying? Like, he whips out his phone. No, he didn't. No damn way they not get a call on that phone. But back in 1997, that was like top of the line technology to have on your person. So you had to show it off. That phone probably cost like eight hundred dollars. Booker T was big time, so he was like, yeah. I got me a cellular phone, girl. Check me out, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Ray Mysterio sitting there, like, I don't know. I just, they didn't give them the individual attention that they would give on a UFC or a boxing card. I know the UFC didn't really, ex- they, it existed, but not in the current way that it is now. Mm. Um, it, just, it just made them look like chumps. Like, <laughs> the NWO guys weren't out there. <laughs> and if they, and it's not like when you have a boxing show. Or MMA show, those guys aren't backstage at every show. Whereas the wrestlers, they are. So they could have easily just sat backstage and watched the show. Why are they in the arena sitting amongst the fans looking like chumps? Here's the guys that weren't good enough to be on the car tonight. Rey Mysterio was just cruiserweight champion like two months prior. Now he's sitting in the stands? <laughs> he's so just a fan? It, it, it kind of lent a little credi- credibility to me as a 12-year-old. Like I wasn't in ar- arenas at yet at that time so i didn't know like what the layouts were or whatever but to me it made sense it was like so the locker room's only for the people that are going to be on the show so it for me if you're mm, if you're not on the show you it, don't need a why locker. would you be back there so now like to me i never thought about in my head you know wrestlers watching the show from the stands because i was like if either you're in the locker room because you're a part of the show or you're not in the building and that's fair. Whatever. So as you know, as a kid, like for me, that's kind of what I was thinking about when I saw them. I was like, wow, like they're not even scheduled to be here, and they're here. That's how big it is, you know, type of thing. But if Peyton Manning went to see Eli Manning play, <laughs> he didn't sit in the stands, <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa. Well, it was 1997. Maybe they weren't even thinking about that. They should have thought about it. You got to make him like stars at every chance. Like, oh, I want to be here, yeah, but I'm sitting sure. in a luxury suite. Like, I'm trying to be chilling. Like, I've Did been they... in luxury suites before, and it's yeah. dope. I'd much rather be in a luxury suite uh, <laughs> than... The next to Johnny. Yeah, next to little snot, Jimmy. It's not Rockets. With his, with his NWO shirt on. Like, <laughs> like get out of here, man. Like, I don't know. It's just... That was just... It just I just, just looked weird. It just looked weird to me. That's just me. Like we saw, we saw Booker T, Mysterio, Bobby Eaton was there. I didn't know Bobby Eaton was in WCW at this point. Yeah. And Greg Valentine. <laughs> like, yeah, he was. They were probably like Saturday Night Pals or something like that. I guess. And then Glacier was just hanging out. Like yeah, that was funny. <laughs> like oh. staring into the camera, looking mean. And like <laughs> I said, Hugh Morris, awful seats. Like he couldn't even get the good spot where Booker T and Ray Mysterio was along the aisle. <laughs> He's just like peeking over people, trying to see. Like I can't see. Like, <laughs> like maybe it was first come, first serve. <laughs> down in front, please. <laughs> like, ain't no first come, first serve. They know what they was doing. Hugh Morris, get your ass back there. You know, yelling at people, trying to like, sit. I can't see, sir. Can you sit down, please? <laughs> like you all obstructed. So it just just made him to me. It made him like a chump. But um. During their, like, <laughs> we didn't even get to them any matches yet. This is how much we've already noticed. <laughs> yeah. uh, they, t- on the call is Tony Schiavone, as we mentioned earlier, Mike Tanay, 
and of course our favorite Dusty Rhodes and they had like maybe two or three maybe five minutes even to talk about what's ahead on the card that that night to talk a lot about you know Sting versus Hogan talked about other things talked about the referee situation which will come into play later on who was going to be the referee for the match and today talked about that and I remember Dusty Rhodes talking about his speech at the beginning was pretty cool like destiny and you know, it brought everybody here. And it just felt, yeah. it felt like he just really brought, like, damn, like it felt he brought he up the importance of it, even though we all knew it was important. He invoked, but Dusty giving his speech, it's like, damn, this is dope. Like, yeah, he invoked, this is it. He invoked horses. You gotta tie these horses to the posts. Get through tie those swinging the... doors because there's a fight about to happen. <laughs> yeah. well, I even wrote that, that down. I wrote that down. That's how much it stuck with me. <laughs> a fight about to happen, baby. <laughs> and, it, and he he kept talking about destiny, and I ha- couldn't help but yeah. think that like he called it even at one point a night of destiny. It's like I feel like if Dusty Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes in his mind was still booking Jim Crockett promotions, it's like <laughs> if, if I had to book, baby, I'd call a stockade a night of destiny. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you because know? he would call what was eighty four the Million Dollar Challenge in eighty five the, <laughs> yeah. the Gathering, baby. And then, <laughs> and then eighty six was the night of the Skywalkers, you know, Shy Town Heat in in, in eighty seven. I forget eighty eight, which one that was. That wasn't Future Shock. That was like nineteen ninety, I think. But either way, I feel like Dusty was still booking the, the territory in his head. It's like I would call this the night of the night of destiny. That's what I would call it, baby. Night of the Skywalkers, no, night of destiny. This is destiny. You were destined to be here, baby. This would be the last uh, pay-per-view that he'd do play-by-play from beginning to end uh, for as well. That's a shame. About that. That's a shame. Oh, Starcade 88, by the way, was True Grit with two true, T's at True Grit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> from Come the on. Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia, baby. And we, we think WWE is bad with their names, which they are. but They are. <laughs> like, true Grit with two T's. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. True Grit. I'll take True Grit over the horror show. That's just me. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, that was just weird. That was stupid. Which, uh, but, talking about Dusty here, uh, I, for the life of me, I don't know what possessed me to, like, just not think about this in the past. But once I noticed Bobby Heenan wasn't there, I was kind of pissed. I was like, wait. Yeah. How the hell is Bobby Heenan not here? And then I actually looked it up to see if there was an issue, and I completely forgot they actually ran an angle the previous week that he was like joining the NWO or something. Oh my God. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. And it was hilarious because he was great with it because he wanted to keep his job and whatever. So he was like kissing up to the NWO. So it it made sense in storyline for him not to be here on commentary, but that might've actually made the show a lot worse than I thought of because we didn't hear him all night. Yeah, that's a shame. That's weird because he like yeah. he's, he was on Halloween Havoc. He was on all the other shows, yeah. and they were bringing Tanay for the cruiserweight matches, right? Or the matches that had like Japanese wrestlers, yeah. and because he knew about those guys, and then you know there would be a four man booth. But yeah, I didn't. Even, I, I forgot all about that. I didn't even right. think about that when I was watching it. I was just like, oh, Tanay's here. Yeah, exactly. But no, Bobby Heenan was the third guy. <laughs> like, yeah, he was, and uh, who he might have made that whole thing make sense at the end. Who knows? I doubt it. <laughs> Still, though, I was kind of like so taken back by it where I'm like, holy crap, Bobby Heenan's not here. So uh, it just kind of, with all this 
you know, w, old WCW shows we've been watching recently. You know, he was always part of it. So, yeah, it just was weird that he wasn't here. It is weird. Um, we move on. Finally got a match in the ring now. Not finally. It wasn't WCW's fault. We just had a lot to talk about before <laughs> the first match. It's not like what was a Halloween Havoc 98 when it took 12 minutes oh, to get a match in the ring. Uh, this was pretty short f- uh, for WCW standards. Yeah. Um, we get right off the top, WCW Cruiserweight World Cruiserweight Championship. Eddie Guerrero defending against Dean Malenko. And this was a very good match. But here's the thing about this match. If you just listened to the match, you wouldn't know there was a match in the ring. Because all the <laughs> announcers talked about was NWO, controversy. Oh, what well, is going to be the referee? Meanwhile, these guys are working their tails off in there. Busting their butts, having another classic between Eddie Guerrero and Dimalenko, who've had many in the past before this in the ECW, uh, down in South Philly here. But all they talked about was NWO and Kevin Nash. Where's Kevin Nash? Where's the Giant? And it's like, <laughs> bruh, like, I understand, like, y'all had the opening of this show to talk about all that stuff. Get that out of your system. Now we're here to talk about Eddie Guerrero and Dimalenko, two of your best workers. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's, let's focus on this. We can In between matches, we can go back to that. But here, this is a Cruiserweight Championship of the world. Let's talk about that. Mm-mm-mm. That was just like, kind of like a... Uh, a microcosm of a lot of the WCW announcer issues throughout. Yeah. The, like starting here, kind of ended 98, 99, where um, they were they were criticized heavily for not uh, paying attention to the action that was in the ring. Uh, especially this opener with like the Cruiserweight champion, Eddie Guerrero is on the run of a career at this point. Uh, you know, late 97 is probably one of his best runs in his career, honestly, you know, even though he lost to Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc, he beat him, you know, two weeks later and he's, he beat him in November and now he's beaten Dean Malenko here. It's yeah. Eddie Guerrero is like just at the top of his game here. And all they could talk about was Kevin Nash. Where's he at? Right. It was yeah, kind of lame. I mean, it was frustrating. I, I'm not one to look, look again, f- love Dusty Rhodes, love Mike, T- uh, I, I, I like Mike Tanae. I, I love Mike Tanae. <laughs> what? I meant to say Tony Schiavone. <laughs> love Tony Schiavone. Mike Tanae was cool too. No disrespect to Mike Tanae. <laughs> that was necessarily was. I, I didn't love him as, especially didn't love him as a play-by-play in TNA. He was not. I don't think he oh was a great goodness. play-by-play. I think he was great as an analyst. Yeah. In WCW. Yeah. But uh, so no disrespect to them personally. It's just I, I don't know if that was an edict or what. It's just I think that was the the wrong tactic to take yeah. like you got these two great guys in the ring wrestling for a title they deserved uh, more attention uh than that all they talked about was well, you know what's at stake in this in this show it's the biggest night in the history of the sport and it's the biggest show and the biggest match and uh the, the, t- the tide will turn the the, the the business will change it's like or d malenko is gonna is he's selling his knee his knee hurts like <laughs> how about Eddie girl just drop kicked his knee Frog splash his knee and retain the cruiserweight championship. How about that? How about right? Yeah. How about that? They mentioned on the show though. One thing they mentioned uh, on this during this match, I should say, was that D. Malenko recently had a had a daughter, and he did. He had his first daughter Christmas on Christmas. Uh, him and his wife had their eldest daughter. Her name was Larissa, and she will celebrate her. I guess would be her twenty third birthday coming up on Christmas. So. Mm-hmm. How about funny, that? Funny part about that is that's why Dean Malenko was 
not scheduled to be here tonight because he had asked for, <laughs> he had asked for off. Uh, I, I read this in Dave Meltzer's newsletter. Uh, he had requested off, and uh, he was apparently granted off. But then they started booking him in a, in a match with Eddie Guerrero, so they <laughs> like, sent bruh. a char- they sent a charter flight uh, to pick him up. And then right after this match, he was back on it to go back home. So yeah, I guess uh, you know three days after the baby is born. I mean, right. look, I've been there. And yeah. uh, you don't necessarily want to just bail. I mean, I I had to put a newspaper together the next day. I was the editor in chief of my school newspaper in college, um, so I had to leave the next day. But and I don't know if I stayed that night or something. <laughs> I don't know. But either way, um, so yeah. What, but three days after, it's like, all right, I'm I'm going to go make this money real quick. <laughs> yeah, I'll right. be back. <laughs> like, yeah, and he was. I'll you be know, back though. And that match absolutely fantastic he probably wasn't mentally prepared to do that but he got himself mentally prepared and they had a great opener and it was it was great i, I for storyline purposes i would have much rather seen like another match between eddie guerrero and Rey mysterio especially since Rey mysterio was apparently healthy at that point so <laughs> we saw him in the like, stands he was just hanging yeah, out uh, starcade you know you figure their big stipulation match here but now nah, they had already moved away from eddie and ray so but Eddie and Malenko is just as good. Yeah. So moving on from that, we get a promo on Starcade because Kevin Nash and the Giant was supposed to have a big man match at Starcade, which would have oh, been a man. big match. I, I, so I forgot to mention this, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. Something okay. that really made me laugh, though. It took Eddie Guerrero forever to come out after his like music hit <laughs> it and, <did. laughs> and then he's making his entrance and Disco Inferno is pointing at his watch he's like <laughs> he did. you're late <laughs> he's like, i didn't even know i thought it was about the cruiserweight title yeah right? but no 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 it, it was no that is you mentioned i did remember that him doing that but yeah that's funny what are you taking so long up. for i was cracking i didn't notice that before you know there was a couple other things that i watched that i just watched this yesterday and today where um i noticed something that i never noticed before and that was one of them because yeah wcw had a knack for just playing the theme music and waiting until the entrance, but they would show the fans. And it took right. forever for Eddie Guerrero. It took like 30 seconds for him to come out. And then Disco they was like pointing at all the time. And they would pan over. You see the little pan shot. They, yeah. they would be late yep. on that guy coming out too. They would miss that shot somehow. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Even though he was late. Yep. You never saw that WWF except for like a guy being late, like his music's playing and he's still not out. I think only Bret Hart did that. <laughs> like he would, he would hear his music for thirty seconds, and he would finally come out. And it's like, yeah. And apparently, yeah. the word on the street is that Bret Hart is always notoriously late for things. <laughs> like, like so. Apparently, he's always late for his entrance too. So, it's, yeah, that <laughs> that's was funny. A- I, I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that that was annoying by Bret though. I did notice that uh, through the years where he just I think he just wanted that pop because like okay yeah, the, just, the, the no, original pop for the theme music. And then they kind of dies down a little bit. And then 20 seconds later, it's like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> or he was running late, <laughs> like as usual. <laughs> or that. Um, I like my conspiracy theory. That's that's no, that's probably, that's, that could be it too. I mean, why not? <laughs> Milk it. Um, again, Kevin Nash and the Giant were supposed to take place in this night. Kevin Nash was injured, right? He apparently uh, was having, uh, he thought he was having a heart attack, but it was just bad acid indigestion or heartburn mm. so that's I think scary. he had checked himself into a hospital at that at that point i don't know if he was cleared by this point but clearly it was too late for 
him to get there and for them to have a match. So that was one of the matches I was looking forward to a lot, too. I was kind of bummed Yeah, that was a big match. Yeah. That was definitely a big match. Two big men, big match. Yeah. But as a way to kind of make up for that, we get a promo from Scott Hall. He does the survey. You hear the CWCW or you hear the CWNWO. And a lot of people say NWO. Scott Hall goes, one more for the good guys. You know, in this... In his in his deep voice, <laughs> the announcers get so upset. Did he have hear? <laughs> did he have hearing aids? What's going on here? I, I wouldn't say that he's lying. I was like, clearly the whole crowd just yelled NWO. <laughs> <laughs> but that was an issue though for NW, like for WCW, is that Scott Hall would come out and do this survey, and the whole crowd yells NWO. Yeah. But they're supposed to be the bad guys. <laughs> so I was like, wait, wait, what's going on here? Meanwhile, the announcers sound like the sticks in the mud. Going, ah, they suck. It's like, what? They seem pretty cool to me. But that was a problem with the NWO because they were cool. Yeah. And they would just, they wouldn't be afraid of the heel, the baby face. They would just go, ooh, and do the, like, the, the wiggly fingers at him. Like, oh, we're supposed to be scared. We're not scared of you. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> then they beat everybody up. And yeah, it's like, exactly. oh, no wonder they sold all those t shirts. <laughs> they were cool as hell and everybody liked them. It's like, <laughs> They they were dope. Like, were we supposed to boo those guys? No, maybe Hogan, I guess. But like yeah. Hall and Nash, nobody's booing, booing Hall and yeah. Nash. They were they, they were actually cool. Hogan pretended like, and that's yeah. what people booed him. But Hogan, Hall and Nash were cool at that point, at least. Um, but you know, he does a survey. He talks trash about the giant. The giant comes out, choke slams the hell out of him, <laughs> and Dusty Rose loves everything he's seeing. When Dusty Rose is happy, I'm happy. Okay, because when he when he sees Big Show and he goes, go go ahead and do it, go ahead with it then. <laughs> Somebody get a shovel and get him out of here. Help me out, baby. <laughs> so, man, Dusty Rhodes on commentary was the best. He was the best. I don't think I really admired him on commentary as much as I do now. Like back then, I, I wish I, I wish I listened a little more uh than i did as a kid you know like i only pay attention to the important meaningful stuff so like dusty going nuts wasn't like exactly my cup of tea back in the day but nowadays it's like the best part about it (laughs) like a lot of it's the best part about some of these spots that otherwise wouldn't be entertaining it's like okay so scott hall gets power bombs like who cares and uh because I'm not going to get to see Kevin Nash and the Giant. Like that's what I wanted to see. That's I don't true. care. It was a, it was a power bomb, not a choke slam, right? It was a power bomb, right? Yeah, like he he, he did go for he did go for the choke slam. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if he did one and then the power bomb, but I remember but he definitely him, hit him with a jackknife. I remember him choke uh, choking him, and then he goes no 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 no, and then he gets, sets him up for the power bomb, and I'm like hell yep. yeah, that's awesome. So uh, bad speaking night of power bombs, real quick, Demolenko hit Eddie Guerrero with some oh, mean ass yeah. power bombs in that opening match. Like they looked horrific. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> like, ridiculous. Like, Damn. How do you land with these guys doing? Like it was all of those cruiserweights that, you know, they would the way they would do power bombs. They, it's okay. Kevin Nash, seven feet tall. His power bombs look like they hurt, but the there's no for as not not as much force as when these cruiserweights are doing them and they're slamming them to the mat and like Man, that whiplash or something. I was like, ow. Those uh, those are the ones that I was like, ooh. Like, as a, yeah. as I don't know if kid, Kevin Nash is hurt. I mean, he did drop people. He just straight up dropped people yeah, yeah. <laughs> from seven feet high. <laughs> yeah, but. it was more about like the force. It was so much quicker. You know, Kevin Nash is more methodical. Like, 
he's like gonna pick him up and slam and but the cruise race like pick him up slam like boom like yeah, all kinds like, of force and speed yeah exactly it was, was like, like louder Lord. louder because it was quicker and like stronger and, like and crazy. then wcw mats made like cool sounds but they oh, yeah. the sounds they made was like pow yeah. <laughs> like oh my god yep so yeah uh but that was that segment uh it's just i guess a way to get giant out there just got hard involved in something because that match didn't happen uh, so no, no, can't blame WCW for that. They did what they could. Uh, next match on the card, though, we got Scott Norton, Vincent, <laughs> and what was supposed to be Conan. So the, pretty much the NWO's B team. <laughs> and really, no disrespect to Conan because he was a huge star in Mexico. But Vincent, who was apparently the director of security, <laughs> which mean, which meant he just get, went out there to get beat up for everybody, <laughs> which is like just like black folks, man. We got. You gotta take one for the for the white people all the time, man. That's pretty much what Vincent was. Um, it's Scott Norton who was also part of the JV squad as well. But Conan, I don't know why Conan wasn't on the show. I don't know if you he uh, has that at the same almost same with Dean Malenko. I don't I don't know if his girlfriend was having a baby or had a baby, but mm. he was kind of stuck in in Mexico. Uh, she might have been going through some. Uh, medical issues so he could not uh, make it back from mexico for the show oh wow i did not know that yeah so according to Meltzer, so right I, I knew there were some issues so i kind of i tried to research why this because the card the original card was so much better than what we actually got so I, I remember going to try and figure out why the card changed so much and you know saint malenko was his daughter and uh conan it was his girlfriend was pregnant at the time so mm. There you go, but they got a good. We got a good replacement though, yeah. And Macho Man Randy Savage, who for some reason didn't have a match on the card. <laughs> yeah, kind of nuts, huh? What? He's like a legendary figure in the business, and so, he doesn't uh, have a match. I have a Vincent theory. has a match. Vincent <laughs> and Scott yeah, Norton he, have a booked match. He was penciled in. Yeah, that's right. But that's Macho Man is just like, hey, chilling. don't worry about it. Yeah, you good. <laughs> Was he? I don't. What? So, <laughs> like, was he so hurt from the start from the Halloween Havoc match? Well, I have a theory because uh, he did negotiate like a big pay for this appearance because uh, they were kind of backed into a corner. You As remember, he should. You see Scott Stoddard coming down the aisle. How pissed off he looked. So there's a rumor. There was a rumor going around that uh, Savage. Because uh, he was in this match, it was the Steiners and Ray Trailer. So <laughs> if he's in this match, he's going to get the win, and he's going to pin Scott Steiner. <laughs> that's the, that's Why the rumor is Scott going Steiner? Around. Well, because he's the biggest star on the other side. Yeah, Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner was Scott was Steiner a, at that point the biggest star. Well, he was getting there. He was already jacked. He was two he months was away. Super, was super jacked. <laughs> <laughs> two months away from his heel turn. So they. I don't think they necessarily started the Steiner's kind of tension at that point, but uh, it was cut. Scott had already got his haircut short, so he was well on his way to uh, being what he was going to be. So I think Savage noticed that, hey, Scott Steiner is going to be th- the most popular guy in this group at some point if he's not so there. I, I mean, he him. was there. So the rumor is that he said, hey, if I'm going to be in this match, I pin Scott Steiner with my elbow. And uh, Apparently, Eric Bischoff obviously has denied that uh, rumor, but uh, you look yeah, at Scott Steiner coming down the aisle. Like, he's pissed. It doesn't even sound like Macho Man, though. Like, Macho Man was fighting DDP for the whole year. Well, that's true, but so this Which is my theory. Which actually been a Starcade match, probably. Well, that, that's my theory. 
DDP wound up replacing Ric Flair because Ric Flair couldn't, mm. he was injured. So that whole Kurt Henning thing, like, so DDP was yep. a replacement there. So they didn't have anything for Macho Man. That That's my thought. Mm. Even though they had like their three matches, the last one was a Halloween Havoc. So technically the start, if they had a Starcade match, it would have been the fourth match. It would have kind of been and weird. I think, the, but, I think that would have been a time to take a DDP to win. Right. Um, but, you know, they, because they had shuffled things around, they just, kind of didn't have a place for Macho Man, so hmm. he had all the levers in the world, it would seem, because, you know, why wouldn't you want to have Macho Man on the card if he could? But. Right. Right. So, but regardless, we hear Steiner Brothers and Ray Trailer, formerly the Big Boss yeah. Man. Uh, but Rick Steiner was over. I don't know if Scott Steiner, I mean, we knew the Scott, yeah. big, the bigger things to come for Scott Steiner, but Rick Steiner was big over. Like He was, but he didn't do like those high impact. Rick Steiner was. He didn't do like the high impact moves that Scott did. You know, That's they were true. like the, was, the quote unquote big spots in their tag matches. He was still, so. he was super jacked, still doing it. Yeah, I saw him walk down the aisle. He was. Maybe he looked, it's like he looked bigger with the single on. I was like, holy hell, look how big <laughs> Scott Steiner is. Like, I forgot. Like, you don't know, forget how big he was. It was like, he was super jacked. It's like, yeah, yeah he was definitely going to be somebody uh, very soon. And it, and, it, and it turned his whole career around. He became a main eventer after that. Yeah. And probably one of the best uh, heel turns ever in, in pro wrestling. Because when, when they did that to Scott Steiner, I was like, okay, it's stupid. That's loser crap. It's not going to work. And boom, he became like a Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. I think he like should the, be a the, Hall of Famer. I think he should be. I think the Steiner brothers as a tag team is definitely a Hall of Fame tag team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, faux show. Uh, you can put Scott Steiner in on his own if you want, but the Steiner brothers as a tag team, Rick and Scott, were both dope. So maybe the Varsity Club as a faction uh, would be a Hall of Fame faction. But uh, you're right about like Scott that 180 Scott Steiner did the transformation. How many people can say they did a transformation and like it really, really, really worked? Maybe I guess you could say The Rock. But even his is more. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if his is like. His feels different, because his he had a failed one, he right. had a failed run where the, the people were going die Rocky die, <laughs> and then they I don't I think he got hurt or something like that and they took him off yeah. TV or whatever. Yeah, he got and hurt. then he came back as a heel. But even still, when he came back as a heel, he it was still a gradual climb where Scott Steiner mm-hmm. went from. He was he him and the Steiner brothers were made. They were set yeah. back then. And then he just flips like overnight to the big bad booty daddy, and instantly makes himself like it seemed like it felt like overnight. It really did that he was like at least in the upper main of upper mid card status, just because he cut his hair blonde, yeah. made his hair blonde. Yeah, that and, was the next night. You know, like he the, right. super, So he turned it super brawl. He had like the black hair, black goatee whatever the next night he literally shows up it's blonde hair blonde goatee sunglasses you know it was like who is this you know even the announcers were like is that is that scott steiner like so right. completely overhauled it in 24 hours and it worked for him like it just it was just like a, i don't know it just flipped so fast <laughs> like like i said the rocks was like i was still he he could tell the rock was growing over time where scott was like boom instant and he was he was a big bad booty daddy and i was like damn like i don't yeah. know <laughs> Maybe if I don't know if you have any other like one quick 180s, quick changes or transformations that were as successful as Scott Steiner. Like I said, maybe The Rock is in that category. Um, but I can't, I don't know. I mean, it, uh, hey, uh, I don't know if this was technically 
work uh, for what you're saying, but hell, Roman Reigns today is must-see TV. Um, he is must-see TV. I think the, the I think transformation it's from it's how the different. fans look at him, as far as like from an analytical and critical standpoint, mm-hmm. that's a big transformation. But I think the character that he is now, this has always kind of been in him. Yeah. And he just now, he's a bad guy with, and he's just, you know, trashing on his cousin, and he's got Paul Heyman. But I think this is always kind of, like, this isn't outside the realm of thinking for me with Roman Reigns. I think we all okay. kind of saw this with him. Okay. I don't know if people saw Scott Steiner <laughs> changing the way he did. <laughs> no, well, I sure as hell did. Even, even though when they were teasing, you know, tension between, you know, Scott and Rick and even Ted DiBiase, I didn't expect this to come of Scott Steiner, you know, after his turn and, you know, right. go on that run. So, yeah, yeah, they, you're and, absolutely right. Uh, and look, I, I think I said that on, on, on the podcast in the past. I like that Scott Steiner character. I think that character was, like, I don't know why I like that character so much. It just fit the time period maybe, too, of that late 90s period, early 2000s period. I don't know why. I just like yeah, that character. I, I thought that character was a dope character. Now, he was in WCW, and it, you know, WCW was, when he, when he was a main eventer in WCW, WCW was going down. It was definitely on a yeah. decline. Mm-hmm. And then when, by the time he got to WWE, he just didn't fit in WWE. And he had some terrible matches with Triple H, which I think was <laughs> probably a bad um, matchup. I think he could have worked with, maybe with somebody else better. Yeah, but with Triple H, it just didn't work. Two big old jacked up guys. <laughs> no, it just didn't work out too well. Maybe with somebody else, it could have worked better. Maybe with a Kurt Angle or I don't know right. who else. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. Yeah, he was anybody, there in two thousand two. You know, WWE wasn't you know starving for talent in two thousand two. So right, they uh, had plenty of it. Know, they brought him to Raw. They brought him to Raw, and that was it. Like right, they had Shawn Michaels. They had yeah. you know Chris Jericho. They had a lot of guys. Who could who could go? I think Triple H was a bad pairing, right? For Scott Steiner, and maybe he was also washed at that point. I don't know, maybe, but well, I think I he, know, he, he, he went to TNA. He had good years in TNA, was, yeah. right? He had good years in TNA. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just didn't work. Um, but I, I I don't know. I liked that character as a bad guy. I don't know if it worked as a good guy, but I think I liked <laughs> him better as a heel. <laughs> I think it's because like you never knew what he was gonna say. So and he was so entertaining on the mic. That it, it literally felt unscripted. And, I mean, it was at that time, but, like, you knew for a fact that when he got the microphone, he might say something, like, ridiculously crazy, like, curse he, and stuff like that. So his, And that was part of his allure. His character reminded me, and this is going to sound weird when I first said it, but bear with me. His character reminded me of, like, a Mike Tyson. Not from the fact that he could knock people out at any given time. No. That's obviously not what it is. And he wasn't box office like Mike Tyson. But... In the late 90s, Mike Tyson, there was no story that was really outside the realm of possibility with Mike Tyson. Like, he had tigers. He, you know, he, he had wild <laughs> parties. He literally, I heard a story where he literally, from Ed Lover, who's like a legendary DJ in, in hip-hop, and he's on Yo! MTV Raps, where Ed Lover went to a club in New York, and he couldn't get in because he had, didn't have to ride a tire. And then Mike Tyson's coming in at the same time. It's like, yo, we're getting in. we out here. And Mike Tyson showed up in, like, in a sweatsuit. And they let Mike Tyson in because he's the heavyweight champion of the world. And they party and have a great time. And then Mike Tyson loans, like, he tells Ed Lover to take my blue Bentley Azure, which I'm sure costs over six figures at that point. Take it to your house, you know, park it there. I'll come get it. I'll send my homies to come get it or something like that. And he sat there for maybe weeks in his mom's garage, in Ed Lover's mom's garage, for weeks until somebody finally came and got it and took it. 
But and then years later, like decades later, they meet up again and they talk about that night. And Mike Tyson was like, "Yo, I'm, I gave you that car. I meant for you to have that car." And he's like, "What? I didn't. Your your people came and got it." And he's like, "No, I meant for you to have that." That's like that's an actual story from Mike Tyson. He's just giving people blue Bentleys. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that that, that type of character and that that type of uh, spontaneity and just wildness that that was to me that was a Scott Steiner character. He was a guy that literally didn't he come to the ring with a tiger? Oh man, I don't even remember that. Maybe I think he maybe, did. Maybe at some point, yeah. Like he like he was the kind of guy that would have a a tiger as a pet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like and I I don't know why I like that ti- I like that character, but I did. <laughs> like I just he did. I I got pictures of it right now. He came yeah, to the ring yeah. with a tiger. <laughs> yeah. Was he with Tiger King? <laughs> was he with one of those animal rescues? I'm sure. Man. But that's but that's my whole point. You know what I'm saying? Like I just I don't know why I like that. I thought that fit, especially that time period. I think that fit. And he was funny as all hell. Like he's got Steiner. Like <laughs> Tiger with all those people in the arena. Like damn. <laughs> right. It, it was it was uh, it was I don't know. That I, is I, nuts. Yeah, he was I definitely have, a, a crazy character which was good in the ring, so was, he was definitely kind of like different for that era in a good way. Whether yeah. and like he just loved being heel, so like he didn't care if you treated him or not. He was almost like the NWO uh, was in like '96. He would, you know, just say all this crap on the mic, but people would cheer him anyway. <laughs> like I, I don't didn't care like, that he was making fun of them or anything. Like yeah, I always thought Scott Steiner was awesome. I always thought he was awesome. Especially that in that period, and he didn't on this night in Starcade, he pulls out a Frankensteiner. Yeah, hey, that was, being super jacked, he still does a Frankensteiner. He did. Yeah, that's nuts. So that was wild. Scott Steiner um, getting his flowers right here on the street. Yeah, yeah, for real, <laughs> for real, he really is. <laughs> like, it's wild to think about, but that's twenty twenty for you. It's a wild year. Um, one thing I noticed, by the way, Macho Man helps the NWO win the match. He pins Scott Steiner, like you said, but. During his entrance, he's yelling at the WCW wrestlers. <laughs> and he's talking trash to them. And then he jumps at them like, ah, get out of here. <laughs> and Harlem Heat is there. Stevie Ray and, and Booker T, they don't budge a, an inch. <laughs> they don't move at all. And why would they? Because they're, they're Booker T and Stevie Ray. They whooped everybody's ass <laughs> in the arena. <laughs> all right? They ain't scared of nobody. But Little Ray Mysterio jumped back like, oh, no. <laughs> Please don't hurt me, Mr. Savage. <laughs> he was trying to sell the moment. Booker T and Stephen Ray weren't having none of it. No, they was not moving an inch. <laughs> they just looked at Savage like, "Yeah, I sucker. <laughs> don't play around when you get your ass beat out here in these streets. <laughs> like it will happen, bro. Like we not really we 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 not really from Harlem, but." You know, we from Houston, and that's still tough too. Like, <laughs> beat your ass out here. So, yeah, I, I found that funny in Macho Man's entrance. Um, but yeah, that was that match. We spent most of that match talking about Scott Steiner, which was <laughs> I, I don't mind it. I've always liked Scott Steiner. I don't know why. <laughs> I've always had a, like a, a weird thing for Scott Steiner, and like why I liked his character so much. But um, I don't know if his because his character worked in twenty twenty. 
I don't know. Uh, I think it tough. probably if any, it might be even funnier in 2020 because of social media. I don't know, and people would just be like, "That's true." He'll be a meme, a meme, right? Haven, but like in a good way. People wouldn't dislike him. He wouldn't be like made fun of because he's he's so jacked for what he's ridiculously jacked. <laughs> <laughs> he got the blonde cut. He's wearing he's wearing like actual boots, like like he's wearing Tim's in the ring. <laughs> And he's out there beating people up, and he's got tigers, he's got the women, he's got his freaks and his peaks. Holla, if you hear me, I got your hookup. Yeah, like, yeah, what? Yeah. Scott Steiner listened to like two rap songs. It's like, I got the hookup. That's it. That's what I, I got to say like, that. And <laughs> I remember being like, what is even is a name like Big Papa Pump? Like, <laughs> Big Papa Pump? What a ridiculous nickname. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Big Papa Pump. Like, come on. He was, he was awesome. <laughs> it was so awesome i don't know man big papa pump but he's your hookup re- like right how do you hear me what <laughs> what do you mean why were there in his wwe music why were there sirens wasn't that <laughs> right. in his wcw music too the sirens oh, man, i don't i don't remember i think it was i know saturn had the sirens but i don't know about scott oh Saturn. god we heard them on this night at starcade uh but no the the, the, the police sirens it's like why yeah <laughs> I just I don't know. He is awesome to me. But um uh moving on from this match, we got Mean Gene Oakland plugging the hotline. If I miss I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think he got a a piece of that revenue, the hotline revenue. Yeah. Yeah, so, Rick Bischoff said that he did. So Yeah, so they he's definitely him, out there you know. <laughs> plugging away. Yeah. Call me up <laughs> so I can get yeah. paid out here in these streets. Yeah, the uh I don't know how much the cut was, but crazy. Hey, if it's one percent, it's one percent more than he would have had if he didn't promote That's it. True. That's true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that number, that um, number is in my head. One nine hundred. I don't know. Nine ninety nine hundred. That's one nine hundred nine oh nine ninety nine hundred. It's like there you go. Why does WWE Network, still call that to this day? Why do they? They, they don't delete or censor the audio but they censor the number like on the screen i could easily just <laughs> rewind it back bro and copy the numbers <laughs> if i really want to call it and even if you have caption on like it's going to come up on the caption so <laughs> <laughs> good job oh, wwe man. but they blur out the number for some reason so you can't read but you... <laughs> okay um by he, the way he... i missed that well you were telling uh saying macho man was given some crap to Harlem Heat and Rey Mysterio, and I just rewound it back to see that because I missed it. And it is the mo- it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, if you haven't seen this, go back and watch it. He he lunges at Mysterio, and Mysterio completely vanishes. <laughs> he like <laughs> jumps back. He goes behind everybody, and then he, and then Savage kicks the guardrail. <laughs> <laughs> he jumped back with the utmost fear. He's like, "Oh yeah. Lord Jesus, take the wheel." Please help me. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Lord, help me. Don't hurt me. Please, Mr. Savage. <laughs> Underrated. Meanwhile, great moment. Harlem Heat is just like, what you going to do, yeah, sucker? That's exactly. all you got? They didn't even do anything. <laughs> we, we, don't get, we don't get scared of nobody. <laughs> <laughs> what you going to do with that? We're going to beat the rest, of, the rest of your hairline back. What you going to do now? <laughs> oh, man. So... Mean Gene eventually brings out J.J. Dillon. Yep. And he said that, because they mentioned earlier that, that, you know, that all the referees were put into a hat. All the licensed referees, including Bret Hart, by the way, 
who they mentioned later. <laughs> but all the referees were put into a hat, and they pulled a name out of the hat for the Sting-Hogan match. And the name that was pulled out of the hat was Nick Patrick. Now, Nick Patrick was a referee shrouded in controversy mm-hmm. because he was known as a cr- crooked ref. Yeah. But yet, his name was pulled out of the hat, and... You know, J.J. Dillon said, I, I, I'm, you know, I believe in him. He, he hasn't shown any, me anything that says he otherwise since his suspension. And he's the referee for the match. It is now official. Nick Patrick is the referee. Okay. We got that out, out of the way. <laughs> now we move on to Goldberg versus Steve McMichael. And if you remember a Halloween Havoc show, Goldberg stole Steve McMichael's Super Bowl ring. His 1985 Bears Super Bowl 20 championship ring. Goldberg stole it and immediately put it in his pants. <laughs> Not a good place to put a Super yeah, Bowl ring. Nah. But Goldberg comes out with his iconic theme music. I'm like, damn, did he actually have his music at that point? I guess he did because it didn't sound like it was dubbed over by WWE Network. Yeah, But man, he had he did. it. He did have it. Yeah. But I found out recently, courtesy... Of the New Day's podcast, that Goldberg's theme music, his WCW theme music, was sampled by legendary reggae artist Damian Marley. Huh. And it's a song called Confrontation by Damian Marley, where it's clear as day that. It's Goldberg's music, and I don't know if Goldberg's music is actually like a rec- like a normal piece of music that you might hear other places. I've never heard Goldberg's theme music anywhere, but when Goldberg is making his theme, is making his entrance. Yeah, same. Like, here. I, like, like the Hardy Boys, like the classic Hardy Boys theme. I've heard that song el- elsewhere. I've heard. Remember Hardcore Holly's theme music? Yeah, vaguely, but, but I, do, I do I've heard it was like generic. I've heard that song other places. So it's like, oh, maybe it's just a generic song they you know they use for him. Goldberg song, I'd never heard that anywhere. Then all of a sudden, they talk about Damian Marley's confrontation song on their podcast, and I'm like, what? And then, yeah, it's Goldberg's music playing in the background. <laughs> His WCW music playing in the background of this song. So if you haven't listened to the song, look it up. Damian Marley, Confrontations. Uh, yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, that I never knew that. Well, confrontation, singular. But it's an old song. It's not like it's a new song either. Like it's like, it's like years old. <laughs> like, yeah, it's from. Let me look it up real quick. But it's not like a uh, like I said a new song. It's from 2005. Oh wow! So you know, interesting. Long gone from WWE at that point. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It was. It's, it's interesting. But you know. Uh, we get Goldberg coming out on this night, and get him and Steve McMichael, and Goldberg meets McMichael in the aisle, and they're fighting each other right away. Apparently, they were so they hated each other so much that I believe Shivani said that, or maybe it's Tanay, said that they had to have they had to enter the arena in separate entrances because if they saw each other backstage, <laughs> they would have instantly broke out into a fight. That's how much they hated uh. each other. Uh, another thing they said during the match was that Steve McMichael was recently voted. I think Dusty said this that he was recently voted one of the hundred, one hundred best high school football players of all time, 
which I don't know if that would be the case still to this day because, I mean, there's been a ton of great high school players to come along since 1997. Um, but I told y'all back in Halloween Havoc 97 that Steve McMichael was a legit beast at football. So uh, just reminding y'all, uh, Goldberg wasn't necessarily a beast at football, at least in the NFL, but he was a beast at wrestling, you know? So he won again in this night, even though this was like his most competitive match that to this point, like he right. was just coming. And they said on the commentary, he would just come in, spear people and leave. And Dusty was like, yeah, we be backstage with it already, baby. We'd be backstage already. <laughs> but Mongo put up a fight. Until he got put through a table, yeah, and then that was it. Goldberg hit the jackhammer, uh, and that was the end of the match. This is so weird. You know, they started fighting in the crowd, but then, you know, when Mongo's in the ring, Goldberg gets a table and sets it up. It's like, what what is going on here? And it's not even, like, the right setup. Uh, it's just a lot of wackiness going on here with, with two guys that, at this point, didn't didn't have much attention to, d- to detail. They weren't paying too much attention to detail, so I... Matches like this were everywhere back in WCW, especially with <laughs> someone like Goldberg and Mongo. It was just, like, crazy. Yeah. I mean, you got somebody super inexperienced in Goldberg and Mongo, who was slightly more experienced, I guess, but also just not that good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. wasn't that good no. at, at it. So, you know, but Mongo is a great football player, though. I give him that much. Yeah. Can't disrespect him on that. Wrestler, that's a different story. <laughs> uh, moving on, though, we get Raven walking out to no music. And apparently we, we hadn't seen Raven for three or four weeks, according to Mike Tanay. Uh In those three or four weeks, he was supposed to face Chris Benoit. Uh, but somehow wiggled, weaseled his way out of the matches every single time. Uh, he gets in the ring. Cuts a promo about how when he signed with WCW, he you know he stated that he was not going to conform to their rules, and instead of wrestling Benoit, he's going to have Saturn, who was part of the flock, face Benoit, you know, in his in his place, and that's when we get the siren music from Benoit, <laughs> not from Benoit, from Saturn. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get Saturn coming out, then we get Benoit, and I, I remember writing down, I wrote down in my notes like Benoit's theme music. It was way too funky for his personality. Like, think so? was it me? I think so. He came. He's very super serious character, but his well, theme music was kind of funky. Like, I was like, okay, I was stabbing my fingers to it a little bit. Yeah, it was like. I don't know. I don't think that was it. That wasn't it. Why am I so terrible? Where it's in my head and I know exactly what it's sounding like, but then when I try to, you know say words and, and make beats and stuff it comes out nothing Man, like it you know. struggled but with I, that that was i might edit this out actually <laughs> <laughs> i think you should <laughs> i might people nah. should know your people should know your struggle <laughs> but uh yeah i mean like it was just kind of like the four horsemen were done at this time so he wasn't going to use that theme uh so yeah this i theme, like the I song mean, i like it uh, yeah, i like the bad. song like i said i was not my head snapping my fingers tapping my toe but didn't fit Benoit at all. I mean, he wasn't like uh, Benoit. Really played to the crowd a lot, though. So, and when when yeah. you said he was like super serious, uh, you know, Dean Malenko is like the same one, like stone faced, whatever. But he never played to the crowd. So like his theme music was kind of like you know the Iceman, whatever. <laughs> and yeah, it made sense. But like Benoit, something happens. 
he would like talk to the crowd and they'd be like, yeah, or something like that. Just like let out a grunt or <laughs> do the crippler, you know, like uh, across the neck, you know, cutting the neck or whatever type thing. So he would play to the crowd somewhat. Uh, so yeah, like I kind of, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it mm-hmm. fit him all right. I, I didn't think so. I don't think this promo he cut before the match fit him either. When he tried to talk like Raven. No, I um, and he kind of stumbled over some words there and it's like, Nope, let's not do that again. It was legit he always did. <laughs> like, he was terrible on the mic. Absolutely brutal. But he, he 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 tried to do the Raven thing this time and it was just Nope. Didn't work. Yeah. Apparently uh Raven had an inflamed pancreas, which is the real reason Ooh. he wasn't allowed to wrestle. <laughs> inflamed pancreas? What how the hell does that happen? Another another match that you know, they built this so well, you know, Raven and Benoit and you know, yeah, I mean Benoit was going through the flocks, so I mean at this point I remember being kind of bored with him. I was like, okay, the flocks not important, whatever. But uh, you know they built Raven and Benoit really well to Starcade, and that match isn't happening either. It's like, come on, man. They were kind of they were kind of snake bitten with some injuries. Yeah. Um, but they still had a chance to salvage this show later in the show. We will talk about <laughs> they this. They did. They had a huge chance. They had a chance because the most important match was not snake bitten with injuries. They they, they, they were healthy, <laughs> so no excuses there. Um, <clears throat> I wrote down that like watching this match, and I haven't seen a Benoit match in, obviously in, in a while because I just don't go out of my way to watch Benoit matches for obvious reasons. <laughs> but I was watching this match and I was like. Damn, he was so good. And it's like, that's what hurt. That's what hurts me personally. Now, obviously, the most important thing here, you know, for because of what he did, he took two lives. He took his own, but he ripped away two people from their families. You know, Nancy was a a mother, an aunt, a a sister, a a daughter. And and his son was, you know, grandson, you know, a a, a nephew, Mm -hmm. you know, a brother. <clears throat> and he ripped him away from his family, and he did this unspeakable tragedy, the, the, probably the most heinous act in the history of professional wrestling like that we can think of, like the most heinous tragedy, crime, whatever. So Benoit does not deserve to be celebrated, but it, as a wrestling fan, you, I, I, can't, I cannot look back on his matches and his career without thinking about that. I, I would like to enjoy his in-ring prowess, because he was damn good, but I can't help but be like, damn, but he did that in 2007, and it's awful, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I can't think, help but think about that Vice documentary, The, the, the Dark Side yeah. of the Ring, which was yeah. fantastic, two-parter, I watched it with my girlfriend, and she was just like, whoa, that was heavy, because mm-hmm. they, shout out to them, they did a fantastic job on that, and actually, some things I didn't know, I didn't know how much Eddie Guerrero's death affected him, right. I didn't know it affected him to that extent, yeah. But like you watch, you, you can't help but think about all that when you watch him in the ring, and you see Nancy's Nancy Benoit's sister, you know, on camera, and she's talking about losing her sister that she grew up with and that she loved, and and it's like that's a it breaks my heart honestly. A heart breaks for that family. It's still going through that to this day. That never just mm-hmm. goes away completely. And and it's like, damn, I can't, I can't enjoy it. They, they don't have their family members, and it's just like, it just, damn, Crispin, why, why did you do that, bro? It's like, I, I mean, we won't know, we'll never know. And this, I'm sure, it's a mental illness thing. 
among many other things, potentially, you know, they said it was like, oh, CTE and all this and that. But like, man, it's really hard still to this day to watch Chris Benoit matches without thinking about that. I can't. I know some people say you can separate the, the wrestler from the human being. I, I just can't me personally. And I guess some of those same people who separate the wrestler from the human being also want Benoit to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's like, that's never going to happen. That's, no. That should not happen. He does no. not deserve that. Mm-mm. You know, he ended the way his life ended and what he did took away his privilege. That's what it is. It's not a right that he right. should be in the WWE Hall of Fame or any Hall of Fame. It's a privilege. He that privilege has been revoked by the way he ended his life. But it's, it's still it's just like, damn, he was so I'm watching this match with Perry Saturn, who's also very, very, very good. I think underrated Perry Saturn. It's like, damn, I just like I was mad almost. It's like <laughs> he was so good and I can't fully appreciate it because of what he did. Yep. And I'm one of those where uh, I used to be able to kind of separate it and, and not I never enjoyed a Chris Benoit match after that happened. Like I don't I'm able to watch it. Like can't I can't fully enjoy it. No, nah, I'm able to put him on and watch it. Like I remember, I just got done watching a few episodes of Raw back from two thousand four where, you know, the Survivor Series team uh Benoit, Maven, Chris Jericho, and Randy Orton beat Triple H's team, and they got to run Raw like all four weeks after that. And Chris Benoit was one of them that ran Raw. He was the GM for a night. Uh, you know, I'm able to watch that, but I'm also, you know, I'm just looking back, and be like this POS, you know, what he did, and you know, I just like I think about it. Surely I can sit through it and watch it, um, but yeah, I can't just sit back and enjoy it. You know, and be like. Oh, Chris Benoit was so good. It's, it's so great to be able to watch this, even though he did what he did. It's like, no, I'm watching a great match and saying this POS, like, you know, killed his family yeah. and himself, you know, and that's right. kind of, that's what it's always going to be for me. That's probably what it kind of would. I know everybody's different, but if, if you can, I don't understand how you can completely ignore what he did just because he was a great wrestler. You know, it's the same reason no. why I'll never be okay with Kurt Schilling getting in the Hall of Fame. You know, like that. <laughs> no. Uh, that's a Kurt whole Schilling. other, it's a whole other, you know, topic to, to discuss. But, you know, he literally, uh, real quick, he literally, like, was okay with saying, yeah, you know, kill journalists and stuff. You know, like, it, it's ridiculous. Kurt Schilling bled through his sock. <laughs> what kind of did he? What? <laughs> what was that? that? He put ketchup in the sock. That was not. Blue. That was not real. <laughs> that was not real, and we believed it. Hook, line, and sinker back in the day. Yeah. But why is your ankle bleeding? <laughs> Change Get a band aid, my guy. Get yeah. a band aid, my guy. Unreal. <laughs> what are you doing? Unreal. I think people, more people, will be are like, "What? That that's kind of weird today." Absolutely. Back in two thousand four, I guess because the Red Sox was just that season was so magic, and they finally won a World yeah. Series. Yeah, you know, after I don't know how many years, a bunch of years, um, that they finally got it done. They just wanted to believe that he was out there on a bloody ankle. But why was it bloody? That doesn't make any medical sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it just hurts, it just hurts. It's not bleeding. Bleeding through the sock? You know how much blood it takes to bleed through the sock? A thick sock too, man. Those baseball, right. those baseball stirrups ain't no joke, bro. If he's bleeding through his sock, his ain't he's losing blood. Like get out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably a little woozy. But yeah. back back to what we we're talking about. Like you said, you made a good analogy. And Chris Schilling. Some people, a lot of people, don't you know agree with things he's done over the years, and. Uh, 
and it was a, he's caught up in some video game company type of stuff and whatever. Oh, yeah, he defrauded Rhode Island like millions, millions of right. people, millions of dollars. So that's too, awful. So. Um, taking money away from people who need it, but it's the same goes with Chris Benoit. And it, I know some people out there might be listening to this and they feel like, oh, he should still be in the Hall of Fame because he's a great wrestler. No, no, he should not. That is a that's a right. It is a privilege. Now, some people will say, what about OJ Simpson? He was on trial for murder, and he's, he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Bruh, he went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame about a decade, I think a decade before that whole trial went down. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look it up real quick. I'm pretty sure he went to the Hall of Fame in, like, 85. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he was, you know, he was on trial in 94, 95, something like that. Yeah, yeah 95, 94 and 95, something like that, yeah. I do right, remember so, that specifically because uh, there were classes in my school that actually watched the trial. Lucky I remember them. that too. Lucky I, I'm pretty sure I was in class when the when my music teacher, I was like in first grade maybe, was listening to it <laughs> on the radio. Oh, wow. Which was, again, old school. You listen to it on yeah, the radio, yeah. right? <laughs> the, the day of the verdict, there was actually people watching it on TV, like in my school, but my class wasn't, of course. I was kind of pissed. Because I, I always <laughs> missed out on that type of stuff. Like nine eleven, like my teacher wouldn't turn on the TV, and I'd go class from class. I didn't get to watch anything on TV until three or four hours after the first tower was struck. You know, it's like I want to know what's happening. Damn it! Anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> he listened to it on the radio, and that's crazy. Um, when the verdict came, he was like. Pumped his fist. Yes, and this is a black man, by the way, because this is what <laughs> this is what black people did. We were super happy when um he got uh he, he was acquitted. Uh but OJ, class of eighty five, by the way. Uh for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But yeah, he's like, Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, What what is he so happy for? But in hindsight, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the OJ verdict. But back <laughs> back to Chris Benoit. No, no Hall of Fame. And it's it is still at least for us, I'll speak for you on this one and you just said it. It's tough. It's tough to watch him, especially in this match where I thought he was just so damn good. It's tough to watch, man, without thinking about it to this day. And it's been it's been thir- over 13 years since that went down. And it's still weird to this day, man. Mm-hmm. It's, so, uh, you know, I, I don't can't, I can't even think of, like, the proper word for me because it's like I'm not going to – go out of my way to watch Chris Benoit matches, but I'm also not going to go out of my way to not watch Chris Benoit matches. So if I'm watch, I usually watch shows. I don't watch individual right. matches. So if it just so happens, like I want to watch a particular show, it's usually a show that he's not in the main event in, um, with the exception right, you're not, of obviously you're not watching WrestleMania. WrestleMania 20. Yeah, exactly. All the time. Like great main event, but you know, it was give Jim Triple Ross H, had a spectacular you know, call. Absolutely. To- give, Hey, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, a ton of credit, too. You know, they had the rematch the next month, and then Benoit had a few pay-per-view matches. And, you know, that was a great year, 2004, uh, I think, for Raw and SmackDown. But, you know, I'm not pointing to Chris Benoit as the reason. So if I watch any of those shows, he's not the reason why I watch it. So, uh, But I'm not going to, you know, like fast-forward through anything either, uh, unless I want to. You know, it's like sometimes I'm – you know, for time purposes, I'll re- I'll fast forward through something that I don't like, but uh, most of the time I just let it play out. I've been watching some old SmackDowns uh, from late 2003, where Paul Heyman 
uh, Brock Lesnar's beating up Chris Benoit, and then Paul Heyman says you'll never get another title shot. So, like, he's an integral part of those episodes, but there's also, like, a, a great undercard happening on SmackDown at that time, too, and I'm enjoying that more than anything, and I'm watching those episodes. So Chris is not a huge reason why I'm watching that stuff, and he's not going to be a huge reason why I, I do or don't watch something. Yeah. Yeah, like on this show, we didn't. I didn't skip past it neither. We watched it. We we're going to talk about it. Yeah. I thought the match itself was good. When, whenever Benoit and Saturn were alone in the ring, I thought it was great. And yeah. then the, the the flock came in and just messing everything up. <laughs> and then Saturn did a crazy moonsault. It was like yeah. he jumped on the top rope and yeah, that was nuts. Springboarded. And I was like, damn, he's super too big to be doing stuff like that. But he did it. Uh, it was great. Benoit was beating up all the members of the flock like he was in the action <laughs> movies, like he was Chuck Norris or something. <laughs> Uh, but eventually, Raven jumped in there, hit the even flow DDT. Saturn put on the Raven's rules. No DQ. <clears throat> yeah, it was flock rules. Raven's stupid. rules. Yeah, it was stupid. Um, <laughs> especially on a Starcade. It's just like, what's the point? of This is yeah. a TV angle, not a Starcade angle. Right. But Saturn put on the rings of Saturn and won the match. So there's that. After all that, Pamela didn't even get the win. <laughs> you know, right. After like, all that, he was fighting off people, karate kicking people, and all this enough stuff, and didn't even win. One oh, DDT, well. put him down. Mm-mm-mm. So, moving on, though. We got what they call, like, the, the final four matches, the, the big matches on the card, the, the you know, the momentum matches, <laughs> NWO versus WCW matches. We got Buff Bagwell representing the New World Order going up against Lex Luger representing World Championship Wrestling, or as Buff Bagwell called him during his entrance, <laughs> Lex Loser. Ha, ha, ha. What? Oh, man, man that buff Bagwell. He set that up. Super well, creative. Oh like, my get, god, get over that here. was get over lame. <laughs> Look, I wrote down. I was like, I gotta admit, Buff Bagwell was a good heel. <laughs> I, he he might have been annoying for some people. He may not have been like a main event heel. He's not gonna have a world title run. But he was a. I think Buff Bagwell was a good heel. He had a great look. Million dollar smile, which always pisses guys off, <laughs> and he was just a goofball. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> he was he's such right. a goof. <laughs> and he would come out with the, the the top hat eventually. You know, he that's true. You, you say he was a goof. He didn't really take himself too seriously, right? So that's what made him a good heel to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I've never, I never was enamored with it. I was kind of like not on ever on his side, but. I can see that. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't hate. It. I gotta call a space. But I thought. I thought like maybe I just. It's just me. Like my weird uh, admiration for Scott Steiner's character. Maybe <laughs> hey, Buff not, was a I large say, part of it too. I, I don't think it's an admiration. It's just like I gotta acknowledge the fact. I thought Buff Bagwell was a good heel. Was he a great wrestler? Was he a main event draw? No, it was not gonna put the world title on the guy. But was he a good heel? Was he easily hateable? Yeah. <laughs> like, he did his job. So, I don't know. That's just me. Uh, what was a very heel move was at the beginning of the match, Lex Luger spit in Bagwell's face. Yeah. That's a heel move. I don't care what you do. Yeah, not great. That's not good. A lot of faces did that back then, too. Weird stuff. It was weird. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, well, they deserved it. You know, NWO deserves it. But... Mm-mm. It's like, man. <laughs> don't spit in another back. person's like, face. I don't know about that. Do not spit in another person's face. For all the kids out there listening, don't do that because yeah, you will get sucker punched in a heartbeat. <laughs> like, you want to get into a fight? Spit in somebody's face. You know, there were a lot of 
spitting in faces uh, in WWF too. You know, you had Bret Hart spit in Shawn Michaels' face at SummerSlam, and then you have Bret Hart spit in Vince McMahon's face at Survivor right. Series. You don't see that stuff no more though, because it's disgusting. Number one, <laughs> yeah. uh, number two, it's a pandemic. You don't want to spit in people's faces now, in particular. And three, it's just like I don't want just like I, no. Yeah, we can we can do something different. You can slap yeah. me in the face. I'd rather you just slap me in the face. <laughs> To slap me upside the head. Um, <laughs> eventually, we have to, we start having the match. Eventually, Bagwell is like, "Nah, forget this. I'm gonna get my boy, the head of security for the NWO, Vincent, to come help me out, baby. Guy, I need some help. Vincent, come on down." And here he came out, and I was like, "That's not a lot, a whole lot of help, but whatever." Uh, we eventually, got our first ref bump of the night. Um, so that was a thing. It's just, <clears throat> it's really just another instance of. A lot of overbooking from WCW. Something had to happen. Something had to happen. Because we didn't we get... Luga got back on the torture rack, but the referee was down. So down comes Savage. He stops Luger. Luger recovers. He picks up Savage in the torture rack. But then comes Scott Norton comes down. And he punches Luger with Rick Steiner's dog collar, which he had for some reason. And oh, then, was that Rick Steiner's? Uh, it was something. It was a dog. Oh, it was it, a dog collar or I, something. Oh, wow, I said steel belt, but now that I steel looked, belt. Now that I think back, it, you, I guess it could pass off as a dog collar. I don't know what it was. He hit that him with a foreign object. That's three three people interfering in the match <laughs> in a ref bump. Well, good. And it's not even that the referee p- sucked. Was that uh, Billy P- Silverman? Billy Silverman. Yeah, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, I know. I, I know your feelings. I'm going to ask you your feelings about another referee later on. Okay. Because you, you, you're the referee hot take guy. So. All right. Cool. Um, but that's this, all that happened, this isn't even a semi-main event. I know, right? Like, <laughs> what, why is this match important enough to get all that loser finish attention crap? Like, I understand that NWO was really trying to put an emphasis on winning these matches. But, like, this is a bit much. Yeah. It's a bit much. It really is. Well, I mean, like, Luger I'm, was world heavyweight champion a few months prior. <laughs> But like, gotta keep him strong, right? Consistently have to pour the heat on. I mean, I guess that's the point. You gotta pour more heat, get more heat, get more heat. But it's like, mm. okay, it's just a lot. It is maybe one person interfering. Way. Yeah, and Not make that three. savage. Make that savage. You know, like so I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know why they had to go that route. But at this time, so Luger much. had cooled off considerably, so it wasn't even like he was a top guy at this point because he wasn't. Well, he didn't get treated like one. I guess he did because it took four people to beat for Buff Bagwell to beat him. Uh, and Buff Bagwell was now, I guess, four zero against Lex Luger at that point because he won the match. Oh wow! Uh, that was the whole story. They kept beating Lex Luger by hook or by crook. Kept mm. beating him. Uh, but next up on the card, we are at we have the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Kurt Hennig defending against Diamond Dallas. Page and I wrote here it was nice to see that Kurt Hennig had the right belt this time. <laughs> uh, he wasn't walking around with the cruiserweight title, he had the actual United States Championship. Yeah. That's nice. Um, Dusty at one point tried to get over the Sting World Order. Uh, Tanae and Shivani they were supporting him, but I, I did not support him on that one. Dusty, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I did not, I just can't rock with you on the Sting World Order. That was oh, lame. Boy. Oh boy, the SWO, no, <laughs> no, sorry. Mm-mm. But Randy Anderson officiated this match. <laughs> and I was curious as to your thoughts on Randy Anderson. Hmm. 
since you got so many referee hot takes. Just in general, or because he didn't really st- it seems like stand it. out to me in this match. Oh, okay. So you don't have any it, thoughts on Randy Anderson in general? Well, no, I didn't know if you meant like in this match particularly or in general. Just in general. Okay, I I liked him. I I loved his reaction to uh, when Lex Luger beat Hogan on that Nitro <laughs> to win the title. You know, he grabs his head and is like, "Oh my God!" He said, "Yes," and ring the bell. Um, his reaction at the end of this match was hilarious. Like, so he he pin he, he counts the pin, and then he waves his arms off like it's no not a pin. He did. It, it was like so incomplete, weird. Incomplete signals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then he points like ring the bell. Like, so wait, what what the hell's going on? Like, did Kurt kicked out? Like, what? I did notice. Um, that. I was like, why did he do that? <laughs> I did. I actually noticed that. Like from the moment I watched that, like, live. And I was watching this pay-per-view live that night, and that was one of the, like, I, I memorized that from that night, and then when I saw it on watching back on the WWE Network, I was just like, man, I remember that. Like, that's so funny. I remember thinking, what the hell is he doing? Um, <laughs> I thought it was awesome, the angle he was involved in prior to this. You know, Eric Bischoff fired him, and, you know, he brought his family out because he, he pinned he counted the pin for the Steiner brothers that sold out in January of 97 for them to win the tag titles from the outsiders. And he was there and pinned like that whole thing was great. Like I really enjoyed that angle. Um, what was it? Uh, so he was here, but then I remember, I guess he was fired again. And then Rick, when Rick Flair <laughs> was president, like he rehired him with double the salary and stuff like that. So Randy Anderson was always like an integral part of like these, crazy storylines when it came to referees so and his reaction was always great like i felt like he was great he his facials were great like he everything that he did uh, made feel real to me because maybe he was just being real i don't know maybe he didn't know how to act completely like i don't know because you know he he had a feud with nick patrick too like that was funny you know he wasn't he the guy or somebody gave him like a quarters or something like that and he knocked out nick patrick or was that uh, maybe randy anderson gave somebody quarters to knock out nick patrick or something like that so randy anderson is one of the one of the few that i one of the few referees that i really like uh, no matter what he did you know he i definitely if i remember all the stuff about him you know from wcw like he had to be good <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure they modeled the referee in one of the video games after randy anderson <laughs> well one of the like thq pop games up on the sc- uh no the Aki games I think I don't know uh, uh. Uh, I think it was the Aki games you know I was, I was looking up a screenshot of one of the games and one of the screenshots that popped up was Wrath <laughs> and I remember just remembered that Wrath was one of the wrestlers sitting in the stands yeah yep <laughs> with his leather jacket on <laughs> just hanging out and it's just like what yeah <laughs> this don't make sense at all but um I liked Randy Anderson. <laughs> Hey, it was great. Yeah, he's uh, good. Was, was good. His reactions, like I said, the reaction to the Luger beating Hogan is one of my favorite because they even you know replayed it in slow motion, and Luger's racking Hogan, and then you you see Randy Anderson's obviously asking Hogan if he gives up. Hogan's not saying anything, you know. Like it, I guess it's hard to tell in real time, but you clearly not saying anything. So Randy has to really know when to ring the bell and end the match and all this so he like grabs his head 
And I guess that's how he wanted to sell it. Like, oh my God, he said yes. But even though you can't tell if Hogan says yes or not. And then he turns around, rings the bell. And like <laughs> the way the way all WCW refs, they turn to the hard camera and, you know, they just point at the hard camera to ring the bell. They don't point at the ring bell person. They don't, you know, they don't go that way. They just point to the hard camera. And that always made me laugh too. Mm. It's like, you got to point to the hard camera. Uh, yeah, you got to sell it to the, to the audience at home too. Uh, w- one point in this match, DDP, who was wildly over, uh, just want to point out, he pulls, he crotches yeah. Kurt Hennig yeah. on the ring post. Yeah. And Dusty Rose goes, Iron Mike, in reference to Mike Tanay. <laughs> Iron Mike, what do you call that, brother? Is that one of the Hurricane Runners? <laughs> <laughs> and making fun of Tanay because he knew all of the moves that the hur- cruiserweights would do. Oh, it's a hur- Hurricane Runner or... Yeah, Asai Moonsaw or whatever is that? What the is that hell? Is that one of those Hurricane Runners? <laughs> what you call that, brother? I thought that was funny, but DDP yeah, won. Dusty. You know, he did uh, with a diamond cutter out of nowhere. People exploded <laughs> when he hit it, mm-hmm. and he left amongst the fans. And this is his first major ch- championship in WCW. His new United States champion. So it's a win for WCW and a big win. For DDP, who again probably wasn't supposed to be, he wasn't supposed to be in that match. That was supposed to be Ric Flair, right? But it turned out good for him, and it he did. deserved it. He's DDP. He was over. Yeah, and he had probably just about his best year. You know, ninety-seven. He in January is when he had that big angle with the NWO, where they, you know, gave him a shirt, but then he turned on him, and gave Hall like the diamond cutter, and you know, left in the crowd and stuff like that, and. um that started this whole year for him. So he, he started it great, ended it great. Uh, and one of my favorite parts of this match was uh, kind of like a, I'm paying homage to Tony Schiavone again with how in 97, in, in this time frame, he made everything make sense. Now, WCW Saturday Night was pre-taped uh, probably a few weeks in advance at this point. And apparently on that, so this pay-per-view, Starcade took place on a Sunday night. Apparently that Saturday night, the night before, DDP had stolen the U.S. title from yep, Kurt Henning. he did. And I don't remember any of this, by the way, because I didn't really watch Saturday night that much. Uh, but Tony mentioned that when DDP got to the building, you know, they J.J. Dillon approached him and said, give me the belt back. You can't steal it. You have to earn it. And so it, they... It might have been a mix-up with production. Maybe like they forgot that DDP stole the title, and then when it aired, they were like, "Oh shit, that's right!" Like you know, DDP is supposed to have the title, but Kurt's gonna have it. You know, tomorrow night. Well, how can we do this? And maybe they did that. I don't know. But it's just one of those things where if you were watching Saturday Night, you saw DDP steal the title, <laughs> and now Kurt Henning's coming out with it, and you're like, "Why is this happening?" And then Tony just right. told you why, and that's part of why I love. Tony back then because no? if you were paying attention to the product you were rewarded with that type of stuff which yep, you, you know you're you not in blanks. Yeah, you're not rewarded at all for paying attention if anything you clown for it nobody cares it's like, yeah. I care a lot of people care so your audience cares right. um, where you, know, you see other shows like Game of Thrones they reward people paying attention yeah. uh, so yeah let's get back to that WWE and wrestling in general please um, please moving on from this though Semi-main event time. We got Larry Zbysko, the living legend, going up against... He's representing WCW, by the way. Going up against the NWO's Eric Bischoff for control of Nitro. This is pre-Thunder, so we're controlling Nitro, which 
which was the hottest show in wrestling at that point. That was the top show, number one show in wrestling. And one of the top shows in cable, honestly, was WCW Monday Nitro. Uh, so, the interesting thing here is that we had a special guest referee, and that was Brett the Hitman Hart. And I wrote that we're already off to a bad start with Brett, because this is a little more than a month <laughs> after the Survivor Series. So after that, the, the craziest thing to happen in pro wrestling pretty much at that point, especially on a, such a public stage at Survivor Series, he's the victim and everybody loves, loves Brett. They want to support Brett. The, the first idea I got from him is to be a referee. Not to, he could have, to me, come up the night after Starcade and cut a promo talking about, yeah, I'm here, I'm Bret Hart, blah, blah, blah. Something like that, maybe. No, he's a referee <laughs> in this match. Not even for the world title match, but this match. And then he's like, like impeding Larry Zabisco from beating up Eric Bischoff, which is exactly yeah. what everybody wants <laughs> to see. <laughs> but he's yeah. like, no, you're choking him. No, you're doing this. And it's like, what the hell? Like, what's why? Now people don't like him. <laughs> like, yeah, and then he's not doing the same thing to when Eric's doing that to Larry, like, at the corner. He's right. Like, he's letting Eric just beat him up and not trying to break it. And, you know, Tony's selling this a lot. Like, what is he doing? Like, why is he letting him get away with that? <laughs> right. And then out of nowhere, he punches Eric Bischoff in the face, who <laughs> I thought had a hilarious sell. The way he sold that oh, punch, dude. he just, like, Fantastic. instantly, like, threw his head back and did a dramatic <laughs> fall. Um, but it was weird. It was super weird. This whole this it match works. itself, I, I I understood what they were trying to do. Um, by the way, sidetrack. Eric Bischoff, legitimate martial artist, like he legitimately yes. knew karate. Yes. Yep. And you can tell by the way he was throwing his kicks. He you could he he, had, he was an athlete. Like you can he threw those kicks with ease. Like he didn't strain. He would just go up on that one leg, pow, and throw that kick and like quick. And he was hitting, connecting with Larry Zabisco. Yeah. yeah. Um. He apparently so, yeah. su- suffered a legitimate knee injury too, training for this match. So he kind of h- hit it pretty well until Larry started working on the knee, and then I guess that was his yeah, way of being limp. able to like limp around and you know right. not not being able to. Tr- you know, I didn't even know this until uh, recently when I you know he was talking about it and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, like kudos to him for gotten through this because you know it was a it was a, like a big match on the card. You know, the future of Nitro is in the balance. I'm not sure if they had announced Thunder by this point, but um, yeah, it was like y- you got to have this match, man. <laughs> like, what are you gonna have? An, like with Kevin Nash out, you know, and Ric Flair right. out. Everybody that, else, all hurt. those changes. Like, you, you can't change this match. So right. maybe that's part part of the reason why they put Brett in there. I guess, man. It, it was it was odd. Um, I just know that at one point, uh, you know, Brett. I mean, not Brett Bischoff is. Kicking the hell out of this Zabisco, Zabisco in the corner. I said Zabisco. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's throwing these kicks, you know, and they they're, they're connecting. And he he's punching Zabisco, and eventually it's clear that Zabisco is rope doping him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't get that at the time. I was like, "What is going on? This makes no sense." Now, as a thirty-five-year-old person, I understand what what he was doing. <laughs> Not as a 12-year-old. I was like, this makes no sense. This is stupid. You just take punches like that? (laughs) And kicks? No, you got to tire him out. Loser. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, eventually, Hall loads up uh, Bischoff's foot with a steel plate. Uh, when he threw the kick, though, that plate went flying. I'm not <laughs> sure if that was on purpose or by accident, but that thing went flying into the stands. And somebody probably still has that to this day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was uh, on purpose because that flew out before he even connected with Larry. <laughs> right. Brett, so. It just went flying <laughs> off the screen. Brett looked at it and was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and Brett was like, uh What have I got myself into with this company? <laughs> Box number um, one that Brett was involved right. in. One of many, and not even the last one on this night. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I said, Brett punches Bischoff, and the cell was hilarious. And then he That's beats great. up Scott Hall and yeah. puts him in a sharpshooter while Larry Zabisco chokes yeah. Eric Bischoff. <laughs> With his own black and then, <laughs> Right. But then Bret Hart just walks over to Zabisco <laughs> yeah. and then raises his hand. He's the winner. I was like, what? Wait a second. That was super <laughs> anticlimactic. Was that part of the rules? Do you do you are you like was that part of the so, rules? You just name a winner or what? What well, was I'm, that? I'm, so this is my thinking. He clearly saw the steel plate, so he was just biding his time <laughs> to announce a winner. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'm just gonna disqualify Bischoff, but not before I punch him, and not before I beat so, up Scott Hall. <laughs> I'm just I'm just making sure I didn't miss anything. There were no special stipulations to this match, right? It's just like this is a match, right? Like. Yeah, it wasn't no DQ. It wasn't no count out. It was like a regular. There was no like match. ten count or something like that. Um. Oh well, I mean, I guess not because that would have happened after Bischoff hit Zabisco right. with the Right. There was plate. never a count. So he probably right then and there was like, "Oh, you just cheated. I'm going to disqualify you." But I'm going to beat y'all up first. So I don't like. I'm going to beat y'all up first. So that was probably, like, that was what I took away from it. Because I was confused, too, as a kid. I was like, wait, why is he raising Larry's hand? And I was just like, oh, he must have. If you look on Wikipedia, it says disqualification. <laughs> so, oh, okay. But when they announced the winner, like Larry Zabisco, they didn't say, like, disqualification. Right, yeah, disqualification. So, um, right. I just assumed, you know, I was like, oh. Because you could see Brett following the steel plate like into the crowd you right. know what his he eyes clearly saw it and so, looked at it I was like whoa so to me i was like okay like he's gonna just, that's why he disqualified him so that okay. was my thought all right i guess i guess they they should have announced that they so it's clear. That, like it was yeah it was clear because what would have happened if the steel plate stayed in his boot like was brett gonna take it <laughs> out you know like what was supposed to maybe happen? that was the plan like he digs this boot or whatever whatever it was right. and it's like yeah. hey you gotta still play in here ah what's going on <laughs> so i don't know it was weird what it was just weird weird stuff just stu- unnecessary stuff yeah, exactly. larry zabisco could have just beat eric bischoff Could've. and i think nobody would have batted an eye because larry zabisco was the wrestler the legendary wrestler and eric bischoff even though he was a uh, a mixed martial uh, a, not a mixed martial artist he was a martial artist he knew karate so he can legitimately beat people up probably they would still believe Larry Zabisco could beat him, like, in a wrestling yeah. match. Yeah. So it was like, you could just have him win, Bear Hart counts to three, and that's it. Not every match has to be a major angle. But they were doing that in WCW, boy. But speaking of major angles. You're listening to The Straight Shooters, featuring Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picone giving you the best and worst in the world of professional wrestling past and present. The Straight Shooters podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, the Radio.com app, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can become a patron of the Straight Shooters for only $2 per month by signing up at patreon.com forward slash shooters radio. You'll get exclusive content never before heard from two of the best. You can also listen to classic episodes of the Straight Shooters at shootersradio.com. Yeah, it's time to move on to the main event. We talked about it earlier. We did the setup earlier. Sting versus Hollywood Hogan for the World Heavyweight Championship. Greatest match in history. That's what they were building this as. The greatest, the the most important match in professional wrestling history. Okay? Brought out Michael Buffer. You got to bring out Michael Buffer. Sting, 18 months in the making for him to get this match. He hasn't had a match in over a year. He hadn't made an entrance to a match in over a year, so people were just waiting for that. Hogan makes his entrance, of course, with Michael Buffer, who we just saw at the Tyson-Roy Jones fight, and he can still get it done with the announcing. Like, it is, he's not quite belting it out like he used to, like back in 97, for instance. But he still get that. Let's get ready to rumble. Like that, he can get that out still. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds it sounds good. So shout out to Michael Buffer for that. He's still still good at what he does. But we waited all, like you said, all year, all year, more than a year. This was the most hyped match in years in wrestling. Probably, honestly, let's be honest about this. This is probably the most hyped match in, in wrestling. Since Hogan Warrior, <sighs> I mean, I wasn't alive. WrestleMania six. I mean, I wasn't. I was alive, but I wasn't following the hype. Uh, you know, but from everything we've heard, is that the hype was at a fever pitch for that. Yeah, but uh, maybe you know, Hogan Andre. <laughs> you know, that would be my. I, I would say Hogan Warrior pick. after that, though. Right, but I, I was my first pick would say Hogan Andre just because. That literally was like the biggest match of wrestling history at that point. But I'm saying um, since before yeah, this but, match, but what was the last time a match had? Eh. I don't think Hogan. I don't think I think I think Hogan Andre is bigger than this, honestly. Bigger than Hogan's thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you're probably right, but I don't know. It's hard for me to say Hogan Warrior just because that was only built for. I know. I know. Like things were seeds were planted, but it wasn't really built. Months, I guess the build, months, you know, months. yeah, the build for me is what does it. So it's hard for right. me to say, but like Hogan. Warrior. Maybe I change change my. What was a more anticipated match than this? Like, what was the last time we had a match this anticipated in wrestling prior to this night? Uh, probably. I'm going Hogan uh, Warrior. Uh, WCW. I mean. Uh, WCW didn't have matches this big. Like they had Hogan Flair '94, but that wasn't what this could have been. They should have did Hogan Flair '92 uh, at WrestleMania eight. But WWF didn't have big matches like like this to this magnitude. I would say Hogan Warrior, bro, in 1990. All right. I'm sitting like, here trying to think uh, of like a funny match to say. Oh, I, I can't. Think oh, of I was gonna say like Doink versus Do- Crush. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> WrestleMania 9. Still one of my favorite finishes of all time <laughs> with the double doinks. That was great. I never understood that, by the way, until like I was an adult, like years and years and years later. I was like, what, I what is an illusion? Like, what? what is that? Loved every second of it. <laughs> loved it. Like Bobby but, Heenan, you know, like there are two. Funny, but but here we are. No, I mean, yeah, Hogan Warrior. Oh, go I'll ahead. go with you on that. Okay, I'm, if you got, if you keep thinking about it, if you got another match, I can't think of like because it has to be something at WrestleMania or or, or Starcade or maybe a SummerSlam, but I got nothing. Brett Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12 wasn't like this. Hmm. Uh, you know. Brett Yokozuna WrestleMania 9 wasn't like this. Like I said, Hogan mm, nah. with Flair <laughs> Vader at, Re- at Starcade 93 wasn't this big. Like, <laughs> like it was not even close. Like, and Piper Hogan, no, those matches weren't, no, not like this. At, like, Starcade 96, like, no, no. I, I got nothing. I'm going Hogan Warriors the last time a match had this much hype surrounding it. Hmm. It's massive. So here we are, and Sting makes his entrance. And I wrote down that Sting's entrance was absolutely legendary. You had the, the, the kid or kids doing the little voiceover to the light show thing they yeah, were doing. That was, the, that was the same, by the way, the same recording that they played at Clash of the Champions. Sting was uh, with the vulture up in the rafters. It was I had, incredible. I, I had to double check that because I was like, "This sounds familiar," and I didn't. I, I don't think I ever realized they were both the same exact one. So it was there, yeah. and it was incredible. And then he comes out with that, the the thunder sound, or cow cow, like the lightning sound, like <laughs> the fake sound, sound effects, cow <laughs> cow. <laughs> Look what. <laughs> That, that yeah, that was bad. That was really bad. You might have to edit that out too. <laughs> nah, I'm leaving that one in, buddy. Oh man, cow cow, moo moo, cow cow. <laughs> um, but it was you know you know what I'm talking I'm about the you, lightning man, on it, thunder. It, yeah, his theme was great. Cackling, though. I love that the theme. theme song was great. And he walks out with the pyro, and the fans are going just banana, like Pat Patterson would say. <laughs> um. It was crazy. Like you just felt it. Like it's like even like I said, even knowing what's going to happen, WCW did a tremendous job at making this feel like the most epic encounter ever. And I know you know, we talk about Shivani, he's probably blowing it out of proportion, saying it's the biggest wrestling match of all time. It probably wasn't that, but it, they did everything they could to make it feel like it. And I got like I got my adrenaline is pumping. I was like, yo, this is this is it. Like this is massive. So if I feel that way in 2020, imagine how little Nick Pacone felt in 1997 <laughs> sitting in front of his TV screen as a 12-year-old watching this. I'm sure you were losing your mind. I mean, like, I was never really one to go nuts. I would just kind of sit on my couch and in my head react. Uh, I'm sure internally so, you were losing your mind. I was like, this is cool. I, I, what okay. I liked, what, my favorite part about this whole thing was the double camera during Sting's entrance where you kind of had like that Hogan, like the camera on Hogan and then Sting entering. Like that was my, one of the best things that they've done, which by the way, what? I didn't love that. No. Oh, wow. Cause I figured, wow. That should have been more. 
Uh, that should have been more about Sting. The double shot does not necessary. It's a very oh, 90s wow. thing. Maybe because in 2020, oh, wow. it's like... Oh, wow. I, I don't think anybody would like it in 2020. Oh, wow. But shoot Sting's entrance. And they had a chance. They had the shot that they wanted. When Sting first gets to the ring and he points... And Hogan's on the turnbuckle. And he yeah. points the bat on... He points the bat to Hogan. Yeah. That's your shot. That's fine. You don't have to... Why do you do the double shot? Why do we have to see what Hogan sees when, or look at Hogan when Sting's making his entrance? I don't, Sting I don't understand Sting versus Hogan. That. Is, I mean, it's about Sting. You could have had, you know, you had Sting entering just by himself. I wanted. Then you had the double shot as he was walking down to the ring. I, did, I didn't need a double and shot. I think that WWE really could do something like that Mm-mm. nowadays with big main events. Mm-mm. I don't, don't understand why they don't do that. It's it's much better. It made it so much better. I don't think it did at all. I think mm. it's very '90s thing uh, that you might have seen in some movies. Great. The only the, I don't the think issue was like the lighting, which is made what made Hogan it, like that thing maybe not look as good as it could have. But if you just have regular lighting, like that would be great. I think it probably works in a movie, but on a live production, I don't think it worked as well. Man, you got these cameras that. Shoot John Morrison in slow motion during his entrance, man. You could do the double shot. That's 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 to me that's different. That's like that's me that's different. To me, I want to. I haven't seen Sting get ready for a match in over in over a year. All he's doing is walking. And I'm seeing Hogan's face during his entrance. All he's doing is walking. So that's what I that's that's what I'm here for. I want to see whatever he does. I want to see. You seen him walking for a year and a half, and or coming down from the rafters. not to uh, for a match against Hogan <laughs> at Starcade for the belt. This is different. Like you got the the first part of the entrance when he walks out in front of the Starcade sign. I, I want to see that. And then as soon as he starts walking down to the ring, you have you already have those 20, 25 seconds of Sting just by himself, and then you do the double shot once he starts. Didn't walking we see down Hogan during his own entrance? I know what Hogan looks like. <laughs> I don't need to see him anymore. This is Sting's time. This is Sting's time. Can you imagine him doing it doing the Undertaker entrance at any for any match? And no, because Undertaker man, has his entrance. For Mankind, that would have been badass. Nope. Mankind rocking in the corner while the Undertaker's strolling down to the ring. You can cut to that. You don't need the Love double it. shot thing like, there. I don't know shot, the baby. technical term for that. What's the, what's the industry yeah. jargon on that <laughs> shot? Anybody? <laughs> if anybody shot. has the... Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's probably not it. <laughs> uh, that's something we just made up. But... Uh, whatever the industry jargon on that type of shot is, let us know. Uh, we'll start using it um, <laughs> in the future. But I, no, just cut to him, or don't cut to him. It's all right. Maybe cut to him when he gets in. The, when by the time he gets to the ring, I don't know. Made it I mean, a lot I just, better. I for didn't me. love it. It made it a lot better for me. I, I didn't care for it. I will say it was unique for this match because I don't think I've seen it after this no. at all ever. No. Um. So. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't care for it. Um but then the bell rings. <laughs> and all of that epic just tone setting that WCW did, that as soon as the bell rings, they flush it all down the toilet. It's gone. From the moment the bell rung. Because here's where they went wrong. Number one. Sting didn't immediately start whooping Hogan's ass from the jump. Because that's what people <laughs> wanted to see. They wanted to see Stogan. That's Stogan. <laughs> Why are we putting so many people together? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. They wanted to see Sting whoop up on Hogan. 
Now, that's, that, that's not the whole match, obviously. You have Sting beat up on Hogan for a little bit. He gets his offense in because we haven't seen him in a year. We want to see this Sting. He looks, he's a badass now. I want to see him be a badass for a good two or three or four minutes, whatever. And then Hogan cut him off. He cheats or something like that. And then he goes into his heat. Instead, they had him going back and forth and, Ho- and Sting was selling like right away. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I waited a year just to see Sting get beat up. <laughs> Hogan got way too much offense yeah. go, get going in the early going in this match. He did, in my opinion. No, I'm no did. wrestling connoisseur, but I just feel like it was just wrong. I just didn't feel right to have Hogan get so much in on Sting in the first like five minutes. That should have been all Wait, Sting. You just said and, you're no wrestling connoisseur. Get out of here. I'm not like yes, from a from a from a match standpoint. Like I, this is how you put together a match. See, like I'm not <laughs> that person. I'm not Pat Patterson. You're not a producer. You know what I'm <laughs> right. I'm not an agent. So I'm well, not gonna I'm not gonna be like that. But to me, I'm just basically just purely off my feeling, not like some ex, you know some extra knowledge that I have. I'm saying that for me as a fan, I would have wanted to see at least a good two or three minutes of Sting beating the hell out of Hogan because I waited a whole year for that. I waited at least I waited more than a year for that. Beat up on Hogan. Hogan cheats to cut him off. Make sure he cheats though. And then he can go into the heat where Hogan's getting up on Sting and he's Sting is selling now, whatever. Right. But it was just like, it was even. Yeah, I agree. And, and it was from the start, you know, like you could tell Sting didn't even look as big as he did prior to this whole angle starting a year and a half in advance. Uh, you know, he had the whole bodysuit on, which made him look even smaller. So, you know, you had the announcers trying to hype him up, like, oh, he's a great shape and all this. And, you know, Sting gets a headlock on Hogan finally. And Tony Schiavone says, I can honestly say Sting has never looked better. You know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. now yeah. you're like pouring it on a little too thick because he had already just got his ass whooped for a few minutes. Now he has right. a head- headlock on me, Hogan. That was, it's like, come on. That was the wrong move. Hogan was the, always the, the heel, like the, the cowardly kind of heel. And his, even in his matches, his big matches, he was still kind of a coward. Like he looked like more of a badass than he ever before than he did he ever did. before. He did. He looked tougher here than he did in, in the Halloween Havoc match against and Piper, who bit him on the ass. <laughs> like he's trying to run away from Piper, who wasn't who's an older gentleman by that point, right. not an old yeah. man, but older, older than Sting. And he was running away from Piper. And then he's here. He's going. He's going toe to toe with Sting. He's he's not running from Sting. He's right there with him. I think that was the wrong move. To I me, think, this this guy, he should be running away from this guy. He should be, if anybody he should be cowering to is Sting. And we say how great the buildup was to this match for like a year and a half prior. But I will say, I, I didn't like the fact that Hogan was the one to actually technically challenge Sting. Uh, you know, you, you should have, like they could have built it differently. Like uh, the WCW executive committee says the world title has to be defended. And you will defend it against Sting or something like that. Like, you didn't need right. Hogan to be making the challenge because to me, that was kind of like, wait, I thought he was deathly afraid of Sting. Okay, right. well, maybe it makes sense in the fact that he thinks he's going to get help and cheat or whatever, but. That happens every match. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, there, there's a different way they could have gone about that. And it was like uh, when they even had the press conference for the contract signing Hogan was like, Oh, I guess he was trying to rush it or whatever. And if Sting didn't show up at a certain time, then the contract would be null and void. And, but he wound up obviously showing up and signing the contract. So 
but then you have this, and it's like Hogan's beating his ass. So it's like, wait, like the build, as great as it was, kind of faltered towards the end just a little bit in terms of the believability factor of you know Sting being deathly afraid. Of, I mean, of Hogan being deathly afraid of Sting, but he's the one who challenged him, and now he's the one kicking his ass on Stark. Right. Like, it I understand that you, you you gotta have the babyface fight from underneath at some point. Uh, that's that's, that's understandable, but that's why you have the right. that point in the match where maybe even have Bischoff come back out or somebody to you know clip Sting or get his attention to where Hogan and get the referee's attention to where Hogan low blows him or something, and then he takes over from there. But that never happened. No, it was just Hogan just whooping Sting's ass. <laughs> hit he even hit him with his own bat. It's like what? Like you mean the same bat he's been he just came back with? Like this is part of his character now. This is a new part of his character. He did not walk around with a bat prior to becoming the crow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And now his weapon, which is pretty much iconic by this point, even by ninety seven standards, by it's pretty that's that's Sting's bat. Hogan picks it up, bam! <laughs> like, yeah. Forget you and this bat. Like what? That didn't happen right away. That's like Somebody hitting the Undertaker with his urn like two days into his <laughs> debut. Like, yeah. that just didn't happen. That didn't happen for years when people started taking the urn and doing stuff with it. Here's things back. First night back, bam! <laughs> like, you get hit with it. Like, that, that shouldn't have happened. Like, what's happening? And then, and then the unthinkable happened. I don't know what happened here. But St- Hogan hits the big boot. Hits the leg drop. Mm. Nick Patrick counts one, two, three. No, like, kick out. No, like, he got he had the shoulder up. No. Hogan beat Sting. <laughs> Flat out beat him. And I was like, what? And then... Um, t- go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm not I sure you say, had a reaction well, when saying, you watched this say, first time. At least he held the tights. <laughs> I didn't There's notice that very, at all. Very little. It, 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 very little he held the tights, but he held even the tights. Even if he held but the tights, Sting he wasn't still even beat trying. Him. Yeah, he wasn't even trying to kick out. So uh, Nick Patrick had a perfectly normal three count. <laughs> right, because Brett, because all right, take me through when you were a kid when you first oh, watched that. What goodness. did you think? So what? I was my first instinct was this sucks, and obviously as a twelve year old, the only thing I wanted to see was Sting win. So Bret Hart was out. And like, really, you didn't even notice, you know, like no. he, they didn't mention anything of it. I, was he still out there from the last match? Was he just showing up inside? Like, where'd he come yeah. from? The crowd didn't really react nope. to, to like someone coming down the aisle. So I'm assuming he was already down there. But even during the entrances of Hogan and Sting, you know, you didn't see him around the ring. Maybe they purposely shot around that. But then he's there and he's grabbing the, the thing. And I'm just like, what's he? Wait. Okay, well, he's a good guy. I know he's a good guy, so he clearly doesn't want Hogan to win. And then once he said that was a fast count, I was like, okay, then I, obviously I missed the fast count. Like, that was but my first No, thought. you did not miss the fast count <laughs> now, because Nick again. Patrick had a perfectly normal count. <laughs> one, two, three. He did not go one, two, three. And then Bret Hart, so did Nick Patrick forget to fast count? Yeah, yeah. It, or something? So what I'm the honestly, hell? I'm taping this, so... I, and I can't rewind live pay-per-view, so I'm like, okay, like after the pay-per-view's over, I'll rewind it or whatever. I clearly missed the fast count, so whatever. Uh, then he punches Nick Patrick, and I'm, 
I'm just like, okay, Nick Patrick's clearly not a good referee. He's back in the NWO's pocket. So Bret Hart's here as a referee. They even announced it on TV once Bret went and grabbed Hogan and threw him back in the ring. He's here as a referee, isn't he? So I'm like, oh, sweet. Bret's going to referee the end of this match. Sting's going to win. And that's going to be that. So that was like... That's how I process things as, as a 12-year-old watching this live. Right. Uh, At the end of the day, you just happened. wanted to see Sting win. By hook or by crook, Sting Correct. had to yeah. win. I didn't care how bad it looked. At the time, you know, I'm 12. I'm not sitting here thinking that, oh, they screwed Sting so badly. Uh, you know, obviously, the Montreal Screwjob was on my mind. So, to me, it was like Brett's trying to prevent another Screwjob. Uh, but it really wasn't a screw. But it wasn't a screw job. <laughs> so it it, it literally, I, I went count. back and I, it was '97, so I had a TV in my room, a built-in VCR. So I remember, like, my friend went home or whatever after the pay-per-view. I went upstairs, I watched the tape, and I remember watching it. And I was like, I mean, that's not a fast count to to what I'm used to in wrestling as a fast count. So I was confused. I really was confused. Uh, and obviously they played into it, you know, the next night on Nitro and then whatever, and Thunder. But at that moment, I was just happy Sting had won. You know, we'll get into whatever happened, you know, after this. But when Brett threw Hogan back in the ring and got in there, rang the bell, uh, I was like happy. I was like, okay, so that wasn't the finish, thank God. <laughs> Man. <sighs> So, <laughs> so Hogan beats Sting. You ruined this angle just from that. I know maybe it was supposed to be a fast count. It was not a fast count <laughs> at all. So they've already messed that up. Then Brett comes out, like you said, prevents the bell from ringing. Now, I didn't know. That the match doesn't officially end. I mean, did you need the bell ringing to officially end it? The referee counted and said, hey, ring the <laughs> bell. So, like, that means it's over, right? Like, mm. it's still over. The bell ringing is it's not official until the bell rings, apparently. Well, that's what happened. Because the bell didn't ring. The match didn't end. And then, first night in the promotion, Bret Hart is punching out referees. <laughs> that's... Okay, the babyface guy just punching out poor innocent referees. Okay, first night in. But then they restart the match. How is the match being restarted if it technically never ended because the bell didn't ring? <laughs> Why stop the bell from ringing if it doesn't even matter? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. And then immediately Sting gets in there. He, Brett gets into the referee. He hits a couple stinger splashes. He puts on a scorpion death lock. Mm. Hogan gives up. And Bret Hart rings the bell. Now he doesn't physically do it. He signals to ring the bell. The bell actually rings a bunch this time. It's like seven <laughs> times. It's like ding, 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 ding. Yes. <laughs> and then Brett is looking for the bell. Like, where's the belt? Like, what the hell? <laughs> In WWF, they had the belt right ready for me. Yeah. Here, I can't even find it. He finally gets it, gives it to Sting. Sting is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. WCW finally has his title back. And how do we celebrate? With a bunch of wrestlers in the ring, including Wrath with his leather jacket. Wrath is happy. Wrath is happy. His name is Wrath, but he's happy. That's right. Sting is champion. That's right. <laughs> and giant hoisting up Sting. 
no fireworks, no music, no confetti, <laughs> just Sting that's and a true. bunch of other WCW wrestlers. And that's how we went out there. This massive moment. This is the culmination of an entire year. Larry Zabisco got fireworks. Sting's entrance got fireworks. Uh, who else? Um, Hogan, I think. I, Sting winning the world championship doesn't get some confetti or fireworks or something? Not even music. <laughs> it's just complete silence. It was I guess weird. they. I guess they didn't think Sting was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. It was just weird. And it's just like that. It was just a fitting I, end. I to a very odd and just like I said, such a culmination, such a culminating moment. This was it. You built for this long. This should be the grand finale. And of course, the next day you start anew. But this should be a crescendo. This should be, you know, the end of a concert. You hear all the instruments going at the end of a fireworks show. That's when they threw all the fireworks at you at once. Boom, 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 boom. The lasting impression. And it's massive. And it's, it's craziness. It's chaos. Control chaos. And this was just Sting's world champion. Yay. Good night. <laughs> and it's just like, what? Why? What? That's it? I waited 18 months. For that That was the biggest moment in wrestling history. <laughs> so I actually had a bigger problem with one punch taking out Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton than I did with the fast count. Because two punches, they're they're gone, and then they're like walking to the back. <laughs> so what the hell's going on here? Like, why aren't they trying to get back in the ring? And like, where was that, Vincent? <laughs> yeah, where was the head of? Security? He's the head of security. <laughs> He's the director of security. Like, where the hell is Vincent? Like, uh, I just it didn't make that made less sense than that fast count that faux fast count no that um, fast count was that was the worst that <laughs> killed everything that killed everything so and then you have sting you know putting the scorpion death lock he's like tony shivani's like he's gonna bring back the scorpion death lock and then he's pointing at bret hart and to me i'm just like no it's a sharpshooter like he's pointing to bret <laughs> he, he's pointing to bret because he's gonna put him in the sharpshooter it's the same damn move now i do not know Technically, I, I think I've read that Sting actually started using the Scorpion Deathlock first, but I don't know. I know Bret Hart started using it when he was a singles wrestler, but uh, that was in 91, so I'm not sure, like, technically who used it first. It, I mean, I, I'm willing to bet Sting did if people say Sting did because it was, like, whatever. Did, but didn't Sting use it at the first class of the champions? I don't even doesn't remember. That, wasn't it a Scorpion Deathlock? I don't remember. What, I know time we, expired? We, we, talked about, we, we talked about that. I don't even remember. I'm pretty sure he had him in a Scorpion Deathlock, had Ric Flair in a Scorpion Deathlock as that was time expired. Right? That was 1988, yeah. so. 88, 88, um, yeah, 88, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, to me, uh, a 12-year-old, I don't know that all that history at that point. So I'm like, Oh, he's pointing at Brett because he's going to put him in the sharpshooter. And Brett was screwed in this move, so he's not going to be screwed tonight. <laughs> it's like, obviously, I was like, Hogan's going to give up, and Brett's going to ring the bell, and then it actually happened. I was like, thank God. Like, okay, Sting's the champion. All is right with the world. I don't care how it happened. Uh, everybody came to, to celebrate. Same exact type of thing that happened when Lex Luger won in August. So I will say, I do still like the fact that that moment happened on Nitro with Luger winning, but it would have been so much cooler if this was the first time we had seen something like that. Exactly. Where Sting won and then everyone celebrated in the ring, good and bad. 
you know, referees, whatever, like that would have been really cool. And uh, I DDP joins like after like must have been just out of the shower. Like he joined late. You know, he comes in while Sting's like in the corner holding the title up, and Brett DDP's all wet and crap. So he's like must have just got out of the shower. I don't know. So uh, that part was funny. Uh, just everything about it was kind of like funny looking back to where you know as a twelve year old I was like just I was like thank God, and I was like Sting's gonna be champion for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> ha! You know, yeah, that didn't happen. But I did. No, I did also notice something that I did not notice before. In all the was times it, I've watched this pay per view, tell me, tell God. me, it was Sting yelling into the camera something, some mamacitas. No, no, yeah, no, I, I noticed that right away. <laughs> I was like, what is? That? And then was it today? It was like, is that English or Spanish? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> I, don't know. I was like, he didn't would have known what he said. But I remember, I do remember rewinding that and trying to figure out what he said. But uh, I just could I'm never sorry, get it. Like, yeah, that's no, odd for him to say yeah. right now, right? So, uh, but I did notice in the background. I think in the beginning, I used to think it was James Vandenberg, and I don't know why, but I realized, you know, today watching it, it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, with was, the American flag. Yeah, sitting on the corner <laughs> with the American in the flag. In the tuxedo. In the tuxedo. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, I, I do remember seeing that before, but I, for some reason, I thought it was James Vandenberg. And I, 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 I mean, you noticed that. Did he look like James Vandenberg to you at all? No, that was, that was Hacksaw. <laughs> right, so I'm just an Because I, I saw the American but, flag. I'm like, who the hell has the American This yeah, isn't exactly. about America. <laughs> oh, wait. This Hacksaw Jim Duggan's probably there. Of course, he has the American flag. And yeah. lo and behold, yeah. it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> so I noticed that. And then on the other turnbuckle, Bret Hart starts sitting up there, and he actually has the Canadian flag. So, like, <laughs> but he he doesn't have a pole; like, he just has it hanging on his shoulder. So he's got Bret Hart's got the Canadian flag on one turnbuckle. Hacksaw Jim Duggan's waving the American flag on the opposite turnbuckle, and you know the camera's focused on Sting and everybody in the ring. So they they go to that that shot after Sting says that Mamacita, whatever he said, and that shot you see Hacksaw Jim Duggan get off the turnbuckle with the flag and he walks over to the other side where Bret Hart is. You see Bret Hart get down off the turnbuckle and they both hug and this is all happening in the background and I never noticed this before and and they hug and to me, it finally put an end to the USA-Canada WWF angle. WCW ended a WWF angle in December at Starcade. That's what you took away from that? Absolutely. Wow. Bigger than Sting's win. The USA-Canada feud was then over. Hacksaw hugging Brett. It was, it, was, it, it was heartwarming, man. You gotta go back and watch it if you missed it. Heartwarming. I'm sure it was. <laughs> For you. I'm sure that was the first time Hacksaw saw Brett, too. Since he left WWF. Because, you know, Hacksaw was in WCW since 94. And I'm not, I mean, Brett showed up on Nitro before. I, I don't know if Hacksaw was at a bunch of Nitros at that point. So, I don't know, it's heartwarming well, seeing them hug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, that um, was the biggest takeaway from Starcade 97. That shouldn't be, but apparently it is. Uh, but that's Starcade 97. And things 
were still pretty good for WCW at some points. You know, Goldberg winning the title was good. You know, going on his streak and whatnot. But you can see the cracks in the foundation, and it started on this night with just horrible, horrible decisions. This is this was egregious, and the thing that was egregious to me. It was so easy. They had done all the work necessary to put in for this match. All they had to do was have the match and have Sting win. The, the, this night was easy. There was no creativity needed for this match. You know what I'm saying? Like, all the creativity happens before Starcade. That's when you're really putting your thinking hat on and you're really using your creative energy to come up with a with a with a fascinating story in, in, in a you know story that keeps people watching every single week. You know, and, and captivates people every single week. And then once you you build it, you do all that just to get to this night. So, because you know what's going to happen on this night, you book backwards, right? That's what they say. You book backwards. You start knowing that Sting's going to win. Okay, boom. That's the easy thing. Put that at the top of the board. Sting beats Hogan for world title. Put a line underneath that. You're done with that. Because that's all that needs to be said about that night. Now, how did we get to this point? That's where the hard work is. But they made that hard too. They like what? You didn't have to do anything. <laughs> it's like you put a nice. You, you you do all the work to cook a nice steak, right? You season the meat up right. You you cook it to just to the perfect temperature, right? And then you throw a mountain of ketchup on it and you just ruin it at the end. Like as soon as it's done, you're ketchup. about to eat it. And you know what this needs? A whole bunch of Heinz ketchup. Just dump it on there. It's like now you just ruined the steak forever. Well, I guess there goes our Heinz sponsorship. No, no, no. Heinz ketchup is good regardless, <laughs> but you don't put it on a steak. I think even Heinz would agree with that. But you, you, you see what I'm saying? It's just yeah, like... Yeah, no, absolutely. It, that part was so is right there. They had the bag, and they could have... Even if they took the title off him like they eventually did very quickly, that night was a special night. That moment was special. They could have been making money off of that forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's frustrating. Not. It's frustrating. out of business. It, <laughs> it's super frustrating. <laughs> and they're not because they're out of business. Like, damn. Well. Right. But, like, that's <laughs> it, that's it. Like, it's frustrating. That, because that was, man, that was it, man. You got, you, you can't lead, do the whole build up and then ruin that payoff. That payoff has to hit, too. And it did not hit. Yeah. You think that even though Eric Bischoff has gone on record saying Sting wasn't in great shape physically. Clearly, his body wasn't. You know, you saw that bodysuit. Like he didn't look like the Sting of old for for sure, physically. Hogan looked a lot bigger than he did. Like way bigger than I had thought, uh, even years prior when Sting and him were wrestling side by side. You know, and obviously that was, you know, Sting wasn't in the best shape. Obviously, but you still make that moment like as not yeah, difficult as possible. Like. Just because he doesn't look the part right now, no, you still have a beat Hogan. You still have the payoff. And then down the road, if he can't carry the title, if he can't wrestle the way you want him to wrestle, then you just take the belt off him. You don't have this whole, you know, rematch the next night and then, you know, vacate the title and then have another rematch two months from now and only to take, you know, have Sting win that one, which I'm sure he's in better shape at that point two months down the road. But then you... You know, two months later, you just take it off him again. Like, it just, it, it made no sense. It, 
after this. You know, this was the beginning of the end. It really was. It really was. It just, it just, like you said, regardless of what shape he was in, that moment still has to be special. This is your biggest moment of the year. Yeah. This is your biggest match, your biggest show. You hyped it up. You told us it was the biggest match of all time, and we felt that we believed it. We bought in. You can't drop that ball. You can't. If this was Slamboree, maybe. <laughs> but not at Starcade. Not after 18 months of and build. Imagine them no. building an angle like this for Slamboree. <laughs> well, it wouldn't happen. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> the stars aligned for this to be that moment. That storybook ending that I, I think should happen on an annual basis at WrestleMania. Starcade had it. And how many times have they honestly. How many memorable Starcade endings can you really look at? Like Starcade '85 with Dusty beating Ric Flair, maybe even though that didn't really count. I don't. I don't think. I think Dusty. That was a Dusty finish. Uh, but Flair beating Harley Race at the first Starcade. Flair beating Vader at '93. Um, but name another one. Uh. Like they should happen oh, every year for me. Hogan beating Flair at Bash of the Beach. <laughs> I said I said Star That was the biggest show. Oh, I thought you were, you said match. My bad. No, just start, just specifically Star and I think hey, WrestleMania Nash and Goldberg. No, not that that storybook <laughs> happy ending that that would not count. <laughs> but you but you get what I'm saying though. Like yeah, yeah. they had it. It was right there. Like. I don't know if it's easy to create. I think you should try to create it every year. But they had it. They had it right there. Just all you got to do is count your money on that night. Because you've already made, you already put in the work to make the money. And the crazy part about even how bad this flopped, they, they, I think, I honestly believe they lived all this for another year and a half or so because 1998 was their best year. And it all was not as great as, you know, we look back and that's when Nitro went three hours then you had Thunder and everything started to become watered down. You had brought in Ultimate Warrior for a terrible run and yet they oh, still God. made way more money in 98 than they did in 97. Yeah, because this was and the biggest this was why, business they did. Like this build, you know, they they literally lived off it for like another year and a half before 99. They, they just started going down. Uh, also, wrestling was super hot for both companies. Yeah. Goldberg was the man, you know, as Bobby Heenan would say. Um, so, yeah, it's just missed opportunity on this night um, for WCW. And, they, and, again, kudos to them for putting in all that work. They did all the work, all the storytelling. They hit on pretty much every note except maybe Luger winning in August <laughs> within the title. Even though it was a big moment, but, like, it didn't really make sense. If you want the Sting moment to feel massive, he shouldn't have lost at any point. Um, but they fumbled the bag. <laughs> I'll say it again. <laughs> they fumbled it on this night. And I think that it sent it. it, it they, they I don't know if they ever really fully recovered. And then they did it again the next year with Goldberg and, and Nash. And I was like, bro, to me, how I would have played it to me. And this is fantasy booking, you know, obviously. Sting beats Hogan clean, boom, clean as a sheet. He beats him, done. Hogan doesn't get any help during the match. So he's mad about the NWO not helping him. Now, if you want to do that whole red and black versus black and white thing, you could still do that. 
but away from the world title. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. th- they're they're showing cracks from within. That would have been eventually. I don't know if you really want to do the red, the, the Wolfpack versus Hollywood. You can, to me, the the beginning that Dark '97 would have been the beginning of the end of the NWO. The beginning of the end. I know they made a lot of money off of it, and they probably wanted to keep it going just for that. But I would have played that out probably to next year's Starcade. You know what I'm saying? We get to, to have the cracks in the foundation, and then maybe Hogan and Nash have their match, which I don't know. We didn't. We had the finger poke of doom, but did they really have a real match? Like they, they did, like later down the road when Hulk Hogan was back in like his red and yellow. But I'm talking black and white NWO versus red and black Nash. Uh, I don't think we ever really had that. No, because by that so by that point, yeah, the NWOs were both like done. Right. So you could have had that culminate. For control of the NWO name or whatever the case may be, at '98 Starcade, Sting. Meanwhile, he eventually, I think, I guess he drops it to uh, Goldberg. I guess at some point, because Goldberg was on the come up, he probably doesn't drop it to me. That same night that he that Goldberg won the title at in, in the Georgia Dome, it's a that could have been Sting. He loses it to Sting. Mm-hmm. To me, Goldberg, and I know there's two baby faces, but Goldberg was. Oh, it was work. a tidal wave. You couldn't stop. Face versus face could have definitely still worked. Right, and, but again, and because t- Goldberg was a tidal wave that you just couldn't stop, it to me is fine, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe you move that along. You know, Sting goes maybe if he does something else. Maybe he that's when he faces Bret Hart. You know, he gets Bret Hart at Starcade, and maybe you go with DDP and Goldberg at Starcade because that was a massive match. I don't know something like that. But then instead, we got <laughs> Kevin Nash dumping like 30 people out of the ring in World War Three, and he cattle prods, or Scott Hall cattle prods, Goldberg to end the streak at Starcade, And then that was it. That was really the end. That was really it. Because 99 hit, and there was nothing. And I know that's when DDP finally won the title in 99, <laughs> yeah. and that was good for him. But I was out maybe that, that was... Right, that's what I'm saying. People weren't really rocking with WCW by that point. Big moment for DDP, and he won, I think, two more world titles or something like that. But no, it was done. They just, it's a missed opportunity, man. So that's um, Starcade 1997. Any final words here before we wrap it up? If it wasn't for that night, they wouldn't have had to change the logo and change the Nitro set to make it even worse. Because, by the way, the first logo in Nitro So is, like, the best. <laughs> you know, it's not a classic WCW. So, I'm frustrated that they didn't stick with it. That's all. Well, that makes sense. I, I feel you on that one. <laughs> by the way, I, I absolutely dig Star K logo. They went with the blue motif this year. Logo on the mat, the yellow turnbuckles. It was just awesome. Kurt Henning always wearing the tights that uh, match with the theme of the pay per view and the colors. You know, he had the orange and black at Halloween Havoc, and on this pay per view, he had the blue and blue and black, which went nicely with the logo. Big props to Kurt Henning for always trying to look the part. <laughs> no props to WCW for. Dropping the ball on this night, but uh, no, especially with what, it, up. what would have been a, such a great lineup. By the way, like the original card, yeah. it, it might have actually been the best pay per view in wrestling history uh, if that card it, stayed there. And, that's, there and, 
That's not WCW's fault. That's injuries. And that's, no, that's, I, that's I unfortunate. agree. I agree. And, you know, they did but. the best they could, but I'm just looking as a, as a fan standpoint of what the original plan was, and literally everything was built perfectly for that night. And yeah. then injuries happened, and I was like, damn, like, what could have been? Yeah, it, it was. They did a good job leading up to it, but mm. not after, not during and after. So, appreciate you all listening. Through the years, Savon and I on the Straight Shooters podcast. You can follow me at underscore Pacone on Twitter. Follow Vaughn at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. Follow us at the Shooters Pod on Twitter and Facebook. And we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Shooters Pod, where you can request your own deep dive for just two bucks a month. Catch us in 2023. We're going to do our predictions episode. Then we're going to have, it's going to be a Royal Rumble January. Stay tuned for that in 2023. Happy New Year.